Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? I have a, I'm my beautiful wife. She tells me, I was like, she's leaving town for the weekend. I was like, oh, because she was doing the stunt intensive. Like, oh, that's fun. And then she tells me what she's doing. You know what she's doing? What? She's in a field setting herself on fire. What? (laughs) Wait, what? The whole weekend. What's the uh, stunt? Wow. Did she tell you that after she left the house? Did she call you from the field and say, hey, I'm about to set myself on fire? Get his hurt people. How ah! bad of a husband are you? <laughs> How bad of a husband are you if your wife wants to go relax by being set on fire? She says it's a skill. Oh, my. <laughs> well, you were going to learn a lot that actually it does take it does take quite a bit of skill to get set on fire. It really does. Is that the beginning and, now? You know, I don't know. Fantastic. <laughs> Welcome to Charles Starkweather Part 2. I mean, last episode, contentious. I would say the biggest bone of contention was Marcus demeaning the E Street Band. Sure. Now, of course, Bruce Springsteen, you did get some support. I want to push back a little bit more on you because one of the things that I did not mention, drumming. <laughs> Which is something that Marcus does. We talked you know about who this. Drummer was we talked about is this Max Weinberg yeah, from sure. the Conan O'Brien show. I did not once demean the E Street Band. I merely said, yes, prof- exactly said my personal preference. I said my personal preference is that I prefer Bruce Springsteen over the E Street Band. I don't dislike <sighs> I, Bruce wow. Springsteen. I wow. dislike the E Street Band. And it's just dislike. That's not demeaning. One can say they dislike something in this workaday world without being set on fire. Whoa. Oh. Unless you pay for it. And you <laughs> go into an intensive and choose to be set on fire. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, let's light, let's let the let's light the podcast world on fire. Is God. there a window? Could we make this building higher? Can I jump out of something? Charles Starkweather part two. So when we last left Charles Starkweather, the 19-year-old former garbage man Thank had just... You. Former <laughs> garbage man. Also, I'm sorry to interrupt again so early, but I got multiple DMs from garbage people. They were all men. But one guy, he got two TVs. No, he we got know. a full audio system. He we got multiple know. gifts for the family. We've talked about this many times, about being a garbage man has a hidden economy. There's benefits. It's technically the first version of crypto. It's perfect. <laughs> well, Charles Starkweather had just murdered his 14-year-old girlfriend's entire family. However, there's much speculation and debate as to whether said girlfriend, Caroline Fugit, bore any responsibility for that mass murder and the further murders to come. After the wipeout of the Fugit oh. family, there is a wipeout. There was a turn that we're going to see. There were things get a little bit. I mean, the first half of this is all about idiots being idiots, doing mm-hmm. idiot shit and getting in idiot trouble. Right. Right. Yeah. This second half is really about the massacre. Right. Oh. And I actually will take from the book, The Twelfth Victim. I'm going to lift a term that they use, which is Charlie's massacre. Mm. And I do believe that that's what you'd call the second half of this story is Charlie's Massacre. Mm-hmm. Starkasker. <laughs> Perfect radio. Thank you. Starkasker. Yes. Ah, ah. 
Well, after Caroline was arrested, she claimed that she came home on the day her family was massacred to find the house completely empty, save for Charles Starkweather. Allegedly, Charles told her that he'd kidnapped her entire family and had hidden them away somewhere. And if she didn't do whatever he said, he'd somehow slaughter each and every member. Oh, that's with his, literally what he said, his hidden network of bandits. Oh, my God. <laughs> and really? What do we know about Chuck? We're gonna, we got to call him Chuck. Yeah. yeah. Right, during the rest of this. I actually because- think Chuck is too cool. I think yeah, Chuck's Norris, way too cool. I think like, well, I'm hanging out with Chuck. He's got a cool mullet, dude. But, but that's what Caroline. time. Caroline, call him Chuck. Okay. Right? So this is, well, this is all Chuck's idea. So yeah. Chuck, he's got <laughs> a line on a bunch of, on an intricate network of goons <laughs> that will all do his bidding for him. Okay, I don't think so. Well, it was just like John Wayne Gacy used to say, hey, I got I know some guys in Chicago that if you don't do what I say, I'm going to call those guys and they're going to take care of you. But it turned out that John Wayne Gacy was just talking about the two 15 year olds that he was paying to help him. Mm hmm. But I bet you Gacy maybe had a couple of guys that owed him a couple of favors because they did a couple of quiet things behind an outhouse. I just think they were just <laughs> sucking each other's dicks. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Carol Ann said that she believed him and therefore went along with everything that came after, all in an attempt to save her family because she believed that her family was still alive until after she was arrested. However, this claim is, like many things in this story, nonsensical for a number of reasons, See. even if it was coming from a teenager still in shock from witnessing at least seven murders. That's if we give her the full benefit of the doubt. Jeez. See, if you'll remember, after Charles decided to kill Carol Ann's family that afternoon, he drove to the workplace of Marion Bartlett, Carol Ann's stepfather, and told them that Marion wouldn't be in for a few days. Charles, however, did not do so covered in blood. This is, uh, mud. <laughs> is that right? It looks kind of just kind of like red and crusty. It yeah, almost looks like it's because blood. you need to get your eyes checked, old man. I, I actually do. <laughs> I am, but I, I there's so much of it. I think I can actually see it. Also, you actually, smell like Centrum Silver. This actually might mostly be blood. Yeah. See, the Bartlett murders were extremely brutal and bloody, no matter how you slice it. A fact based on the autopsies. And Carol Ann said during one of her many stabs at the truth that she thought her family was still alive and not brutally massacred. As we go through the rest of this episode, you're going to see none of the stories match the forensics no. that come out. Mm. And one thing that really truly surprised me as we'll go through the rest of this is that uh, how brutal they were. Uh, mm. I kind of thought that everything was shooting murders no. when I first heard about the story. No, it's it's not like that. Well, that means that Charles Starkweather, who couldn't hack a warehouse job loading newspapers into a truck, he would have had to kill two adults and a toddler, drag the bodies to the two outside structures where the bodies were found, then clean up three separate murder sites by himself. He could not operate a forklift. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> well, the man that's could not the easiest to do. I'm, I'm, you can train it, but I'm just saying all every person he ever worked for said the one thing that Charlie was bad at was everything. He was bad at cleaning up. He was bad at discipline. He wouldn't show up. He didn't, he well, didn't give 110%. And it's, if you look at it going from you arriving into your home and there, nothing's, it's pristine. It's mm-hmm. like you just left it. Mm-hmm. And just Charlie there with his butler outfit just being like, <laughs> as you can see, I just did a once over in your Thank wonderful you. family home. Like, no, it didn't happen. Well, yeah. perhaps Charlie was quietly quitting, only doing the work he was getting paid for like a true American hero. Wow. I would ask this, wow. though. I've been fired for multiple jobs. Wendy's, Burger King, Pizza Hut, the list can go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Last um, podcast network. <laughs> I have not been fired. <laughs> 
but technically still successful at one thing. But if you talk to our former employees, for all of us, they would say they're huge losers. They're never going to make it. So this might just be where Starkweather shines. Sure. And cleaning up. I mean, that's the thing. He would have had to have done it in an hour. Two hours at most, because if you look at the timeline, the cleanup would have had to have happened efficiently and smartly. Two qualities not in the Starkweather repertoire. And it's two and one full stab into the neck, a Mm -hmm. couple of headshots, and then the brutal beating of a child to death, which is, again, you know, in one way you could say it, it's it's not a clean job. Right. Now, this doesn't mean that Carol Ann was a willing and enthusiastic accomplice in all of the murders and crimes to come. All we're saying is that it is worth noting that Carol Ann's story, even beyond the murder of her family, has a lot of holes. The book, The Twelfth Victim, posits that Carol Ann's story, now solidified from the future, is that she did not have a single bit to do with anything and everything was a surprise. Yeah. But I think that we'll see is that these stories, like, it can't be too opposite. Both spectrums can't be right. Charlie's no. stories are not correct either. The idea that no, she was absolutely the, not. She was the ringleader. She was the one telling him what to do. That right. she Charles held Starkweather a gun to her mother. doesn't even know himself what happened. He, exactly. He's not even the <laughs> ringleader of his own crimes. Right? Because it's all impulse driven. He's a child. But there is still a, when you watch your whole family and then sort of be involved in it, I mean, the whole murder of your whole family, and you're, and it's, again, she's in shock. She's yeah, all fucked fast. up. Yeah, it happens really fast. And I do believe there is a point where, because again, she didn't know that she, he had murdered before. Mm-hmm. And then he shows up. Well, and I don't it's know if she didn't drama. know that he murdered. He didn't know. I, I don't, don't know. know about that. We don't know. I, yeah, we don't know. Because I, I think I think Carol would have had, had Carol Ann would have had to be quite dense to not put two and two together when a, you know, a, st- a service station worker shows up dead outside of town and Charles Starkweather suddenly has a whole bunch of money to spend. If she doesn't put two and two together, I don't know what the, I don't know. Well, again, she's 13 mm. and not at the time and not. A high active 13 year old. I mean, she's 13 <laughs> years old. Again, this is why I'm introducing Kung Fu for toddlers. Oh, so <laughs> Because good. I think that would be fantastic. It goes along with my Guns for Feet program. <laughs> well, she's 14 at this point, not 13. Not the toddler. Oh, yes, yeah. the toddler's a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more on the toddler. At this point, Caroline is 14. But Charles, as I said, he's no help in clearing any of this up because, like Caroline, his confessions he made seven different confessions between his arrest and his execution and usually his admitted degree of responsibility depended on how warmly he was feeling towards carolan at that time if he liked her then carolan then carolan had nothing to do with it and she would say that she was either kidnapped or just along for the ride but if he was feeling lukewarm he'd say they at least planned to kill her family together but if he was totally offer, then he would say that Carol was a trigger-happy banshee who finished off with her mother with a knife, clubbed her baby sister to death with a rifle butt, and later mutilated the genitals of a fellow teenager with a stiletto knife. Officer, hear me out. Now, what if we play more of a choose-your-own-adventure? Now, you guys decide what you guys want. (laughs) Actually, it's incredible. We were going to do that anyway. Awesome. (laughs) It's it's interesting, though, because we'll we'll see. She could be... She was in this fantasy, right? Bad boy. He keeps showing up. She kind of likes that he makes her parents upset. He's yeah. rolling in and out like he's this kind of sure. like she thinks he's he's a 14-year-old's idea of what's super cool. And, yeah. he, and she's yeah. she, he could be attracted to her because he's mentally 12 years old. And he doesn't understand because he's also a fucking d- a delinquent and a moron, right? Yeah. 
And so you can get fed up on this fantasy. And then all of a sudden, it comes real. Well, and you realize that it's too real uh-oh. to be enjoyable because <laughs> it's now like it's done. And so now you're sitting in your house with the ghosts of your family air like all around mm-hmm. you. And it's going to change you. And th- this is where you see the turn. Could be a fun mm-hmm. haunting, though, but most likely not. Too real to be enjoyable needs to be on your tombstone, which would be kind of fun. <laughs> too. My question is this. Would her parents still be alive had she never met Charles Starkweather? I say yay. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's Charles Starkweather. He is the main man The main thing to keep hitting is she's 14 years old and she doesn't fucking know shit from Shinola. And he's 18 years old and technically legal enough to go fight the Jerry's over in the European (laughs) theater. That's where he should have gone then. He was 19 and he was too bow-legged to go fight in the Korean War. He would have been 4F. He literally couldn't even dance. (laughs) That's sad. As far as the actual truth is, we'll never know. But most likely, as we said in the first episode, what really happened probably lies somewhere in the middle of complete innocence and full culpability. Although we can say with some certainty that fear played a big role in how Carol Ann Fugit reacted over the following two weeks. We'll Mm -hmm. watch it build. Now, after the murder of Carol Ann's family, Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugit spent a week together at the Bartlett home playing house. Charles described this as the best week of his life, the only time that they didn't have to obey any quote-unquote stupid rules. Yeah, I go to bed. Uh, I went over there and I went over the other line in my my car. That's really cool. Yeah, because there's nothing like having no rules like home ownership. Uh, It's just so easy. There's no bills. They don't constantly just pile up because you're too afraid to open them because you kind of get, I have a fear of the mail. That's playing adult. Wow, it's so fun and lighthearted. But Chucky said they live like kings. Oh, my God. Yeah, they live like kings. In his mind, living like kings meant that they could eat potato chips and ice cream for dinner. They could drink as many bottles of Pepsi as their little tummies could handle. That's could... you guys. You, you Carolina like that. I mean, sadly, they are living like an American president. But... Yeah. Oh, they could read as many comic books with knives as they wanted. They could watch Abbott and Costello movies all night long. And maybe they had sex. But maybe uh, not. It depended gosh. on which. It depended on which one of them you asked. Oh yeah. It's, uh, well, this is again. This story is such a. It's so wild the two different versions of the story that both yeah. of them say because they are Jeez. both opposite different stories. It's, none of them touch reality. But if you ask Charlie what that time was like, he's like, "Oh yeah, we <laughs> were doing it. All sorts of sexual activity." Yeah, you know that's illegal, right? Oh, it's a statutory yeah. rape. You want to be admitting? Not to if that. I marry her and then direct a series of acclaimed comedies. <laughs> 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 when we were getting in there, I'm uh, always making love with right. that. And I, because you know how it's done, right? I do. I'm, a, I'm an adult with a wife and three children. Can, so I'm um, a detective, yeah. How? Yes. Well, <laughs> first of all, you, you, so you tell me so I remember what I was doing. Yeah. How are you this dumb? <laughs> how How is sex? <laughs> I'm not answering that. You'll find out in prison. But Carol Ann said that he once stuck in the tip once. Oh, I don't even uh, want to hear this. That's it. Why no. did you include that? Yeah. Well, I would have rather heard it's... about the story. I would rather heard about the bird, baby being killed in that one story <laughs> than we didn't go into the baby being killed. No, they did not. Uh, I really uh, believe up to a point that he he barely touched her. Yeah, he barely touched her. He didn't know what to do. Ugh. He was he, he was frozen. They were both acting like it's almost like he regressed with her. 
where he became even more childlike to meet her, where the two of them were like, just like throwing knives and shit and eating candy. Yeah, but she was 14. She wasn't like nine. Like, but I mean, you'd be, you'd be, I man, 14's real young. Four, so I know, be, I know you see the picture of young, but I mean, that, but yeah. Of course, so he's an 18 dim You can moron. have a job at 14 years old, yes. you know? Oh, I did. Yeah, as did I. Yeah, what was that? I was a homicide detective. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredible. For pierogies? <laughs> you circled I mean, the little pierogies on your plate? <laughs> that one died. <laughs> but that week, it wasn't all just Pepsi and bubblegum. During the week that Caroline and disgusting. <laughs> That's what they that was the entire week. Okay. Yeah. It was TV, Pepsi, and Bubblegum. Yeah. With corpses rotting outside. Yeah, so, and isn't the mom's legs literally up yes. facing the heavens? Well, it shows and they, she's in the outhouse. They were yeah. just already in their little fantasy world trying to yeah. act as if like maybe did it didn't happen. Go, where did they go to the bathroom? They I don't know. No, they had indoor. They had a bathroom oh, indoors okay. at that point. Yeah, because a lot of places like that, they did have indoor plumbing installed, but you still had the outhouse out back because it was cute. You got your little structure out there with you know the moon cut in, and yeah, there's right. like ancient shit down in the bottom of that shithole. But I don't think I don't think that was still in use because the story did describe Charlie as hiding in the bathroom a lot. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. that's where he go hide. He go t- tuck in upstairs, and then Carol Ann kept saying. That I, 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 it's interesting. She kept saying every day I'd wake up imagining that it wasn't happening, like thinking that all oh. this was a fantasy, that this is just like that we were in a we were in a dream. And so mm-hmm. she's already kind of living in that world, separating the getting it all done so fast, the flurry of violence, and then immediately putting the bodies away, like kind of allows them to sort of like right. live in that fantasy mm-hmm. for a hot second. Mm-hmm. During the week that Carol Ann and Charles spent in the Bartlett family home, Carol Ann had to run interference almost every day to keep friends and family from discovering what had happened. Again and again, everyone from Carol Ann's friends to her neighbor, Mrs. Yordy, kept mm. knocking on her door for eggs or milk or just to say hi. God, you Made awesome. you a pie! And she's like, Let me <laughs> made you a pie! Why are you coming here, it's man? It's your least favorite. It's rhubarb. Get away from my family! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mrs. Yordy would come and buy uh, extra chicken eggs uh, from the Bartlett home. Um, yeah. But then, of course, Carol Ann, uh, when she answered the door and saw Mrs. Yordy or her friend Barbara or whoever, he, she'd yell, stay the fuck away because everyone inside has the flu. Okay. And every time Carol Ann tried to shoo someone away, Charles would scurry to the back bedroom clutching his twenty-two rifle, just in case the inquiring minds decided to push their way past Carol Ann to see the supposedly sick family for themselves. It's just like, again, mm. it's it technically, at this point, it's like a heist movie comedy. Where mm-hmm. he's like, no, you're going to do it. And then run up there and just like hide in the room and like, what they say? Oh, they want eggs, that fucking bitch? Like immediately just. Yeah. You're free. But they're all like, again, like it's a, a role playing thing that they're playing out. Doesn't yeah. seem like it can last very long. No. No. Well, the people who eventually put the hard press on Carol Ann and Charles to let them inside, I was actually Charlie's people. Mm-hmm. First, Charlie's buddies, Bob and Barb Von Bush, They came by and asked after the Bartlett family. But after they got the flu story, Bob got suspicious and went to the police. Now, the cops agreed to go in and check on the Bartlett's. But after Carol Ann stopped them with the flu story and told them that Bob Von Bush was just an old busybody, the police said fine 
and put in their report that Caroline was poised and didn't appear nervous. Oh my God, they literally used, (laughs) it is almost on par with Chris Farley and David Spade in Tommy Boy. Just be like, follow me. Bees! Bees! Hey man, I'm allergic to bees. Let's get out of here. They they were like, that 14-year-old definitely running that house. Absolutely. (laughs) All right, let's go. Let's get out of here. I can't have the flu, man. Well, 14 had a lot more responsibility in 1958 than it does in 2022. Covering up a double, triple murder. Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot of responsibility. It's hard. Now, the cop saying good enough was enough for Bob to say good enough. But then Starkweather's father, Guy, got suspicious. So he sent his daughter, LaVita, to check on the Bartlett's and therefore Charlie. Yeah, we haven't heard from Charlie for a long time. Time to send in LaVita. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah! Oh, my God. It's living La Vida Loca. She's not happy. Wow. Go get him, La Vida. Hurricane La Vida. I've never seen a hurricane full of more wine spritzer in my life. Again, Carol said everyone had the flu. But when La Vida returned hours later to tell Carol Ann that she thought she was lying. I'm going to tell you something, Carol Ann. I've come from the outskirts down to bring sense of justice. To bring, I'm going to revert some justice that's been happening inside this town. You're going to see, name's La Vida. La Vida, Hurricane La Vida. <laughs> she told her, she said, hey, you're lying. Something interesting happened. Reportedly, Carol took Levita aside and whispered that Charles and a gang of teenagers were holed up in the house with Tommy guns, and they were planning to rob a bank. Now, naturally, Levita returned to her father, the elder Starkweather, and told him what Carol Ann said. But instead of going to the police, Guy Starkweather decided to, quote-unquote, Sleep on it. Yeah. He just took a little nap with it. What's well, because overnight? Sleep on it. You gotta sleep on it. Get in, and look at it with fresh eyes in the morning. Because unfortunately, oh, does um, he want to be a part of it? And no, <laughs> no, he doesn't. Uh, because again, this is obviously a lie. Because uh, Charlie doesn't have any friends. Yeah. There's no gang around Charlie. Well, he has been thoroughly disowned by anybody yeah. that is anywhere near. He has burned no, many bridges. No, he's the got one Bob, guy he's at the got gas Bob station. Bush. Yeah, <laughs> he already came by. So that's the guy. That would be his friend. Yeah. Right. There's no. He has no gang. And so the idea: you show up, oh. you go in the house, you don't hear a gang. But it's more just like, why wasn't she like, oh, Carol Ann needs some help? Yeah. Instead of if they, she indeed said this, but then Lavita, God knows what's going on inside Lavita's mind. Absolutely. <laughs> Now, had Guy Starkweather gone to the cops that night, the carnage of the next six days would have most likely been prevented. Although, when you consider the upcoming laziness of the Lincoln Police Department, it's hard to say. But either way, while Guy Starkweather was sleeping on it, Caroline's maternal grandmother, a woman named Pansy Street... And according to the 12th victim, you knew Pansy because... Her lap was wide enough to fit every grandchild. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Pansy's an old school name. A friend of mine had a mom named Pansy, and I never heard it before. But now that I hear it, I do like Pansy. It sounds like someone that's very sweet and someone that makes a lot of cupcakes. Yeah, yeah. that's your transitional name. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, Pansy came by the Bartlett home because Bob Von Bush told her that the family was not only sick, but was refusing to see or talk to anyone. So I suppose Bob really was a bit of a busybody. Yeah, okay. But when Pansy Street arrived at the front door, she found a misspelled message written on a yellow building permit saying to, quote, stay away or risk the flu, spelled F-L-U-E. 
They were not. These guys are not oh Kurt God. Vonnegut. No. Wait a second. Um, Hold on a second. Uh, oh, my God. Okay, so she misspelled a three-letter word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do, and he didn't help. It's yeah. not like Charlie's stay, the uh, one so who knows how to spell. They didn't do away as one word. They said stay no, a. No, it was two words. Wh- stay a way. Oh, man. I mean, this is more of an indictment on the American education system. I mean, this is at a time period when <laughs> it was really a little bit more voluntary. I yeah. guess so. But Pansy called out anyway until Caroline came to the door, pale and agitated, repeating the sickness story again and again. And so when Pansy Street called out for her daughter and other granddaughter and got no response, she left and went to the police station. But even though the cops said they'd already checked it out. We did they it. Re- we they did, re- did it. <laughs> Is Holden McNeely a detective in this from Whisper? We did it. <laughs> Well, they reluctantly agreed to return when she was insistent. Meanwhile, though, Pansy had spooked Charles Starkweather, who at the very least had a good instinct for when things were about to turn south, because things had gone south for Charles Starkweather many times in the past. No, Caroline, Caroline, let me just tell yeah. you something, okay? Yeah. Honestly, I yeah. have, um, let's just say a lot of people have been mad at me. <laughs> and yeah. I'm kind of like, yeah. no, when... They, they get the most, we're at the, the most, right? We're not the most mad because that's when you get fired and they take away yeah. your car. And then you like, like you've disappointed a lot happen. of people. Very much so. Yeah. It's actually the one good thing I'm good at. Is knowing when people are so pissed they want to beat you up and yes. come and, yes. You know what they got to do? Take it from Clue. They need to set up the family, pretend they're still alive, um, and then have the detectives walk through. These detectives don't give a shit. No, I mean, this kind of sixth sense that Charles Starkweather had. It's, it's not sort of, a sixth sense, Marcus. It is, no, dude, it's the moron's curse. It's constantly <laughs> fucking up, but having just enough wherewithal to remember what it feels like when you're about to get into trouble again. I just, okay, I've seen the movie Sixth Sense, and I'm pretty sure that wasn't the superpower. I, I can no, I think I'm about to go to the principal's office. Oh, yeah, because you took a shit on the crayons. They say this quite a bit. Look at fucking Bonnie and Clyde. Like, that mm-hmm. was the thing. They had the one thing that they had of, like, you remember how all the times yes, we got that's shot? That's just because they I know feel that, that in the air again. I think we're about to get shot again. I just feel like we're overusing the term sixth sense. The third eye. No, it's just they know how fucking stupid they are. And at some point, adults are going to come and solve the problem. Now, as soon as Pansy was gone, Carol Ann packed up a few things in a red swim bag, and Charles grabbed a hunting knife, a 32 caliber revolver, and a sawed-off shotgun before both walked over to Starkweather's Ford and drove off. Meanwhile, the cops had arrived at the Bartlett home and made their way inside. And even though the house was suspiciously clean, especially, especially for a place that was supposed to be full of sick people, the cops decided, nah, everything's fine. Nah. Despite the fact that the whole house was very suddenly empty. Well, did they not wonder where the sick people went? Well, nah. it's, it, 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 it takes some time to build. It's other problem, Oh, man. my God. It is their problem. Now, while this was happening, Guy Starkweather finally called the cops and told them that his son and a few other guys were supposedly planning an armed bank robbery at the Bartlett house. Like your Bob son? Va- Famous <laughs> Chuck, no friend Starkweather? I don't believe it. Bob Von Bush also showed up at the police station while Guy was calling in the tip just to see if anyone had any news on the Bartlett's. But instead of the cops saying, dude, there's, I think there's some bad shit going down at the Bartlett's, the captain in charge at Lincoln PD, he got frustrated that everyone was telling him what to do. And he told Bob <laughs> to leave it alone because everyone at the Bartlett house was fine. They're fine. Well, I, I do believe at this time period, right, 
They have not had anything like a homicide in any way, shape, or form. I'm not giving them any credit. Well, it's, not, Lincoln, it's Lincoln, Nebraska. They're having homicides. It's, it's not that. It's But again, it's not like this. No, and so not ma- they're not ways, having mass murders. No, they are used to, in many ways, allowing households to handle their own issues. Right? Well, of and course you should. They, they all yes. think like, oh, this is a bunch of squabbles between these people doing something, some kind of drama. So like for me, my thing is, I'm trying to have a Thursday. And you know what it is about Thursdays <laughs> right. is that it's the oh. new Friday. Oh, oh I do so you're saying that. that the Lincoln PD is a bunch of no drama llamas? Yeah. And so they're just not like, fucking oh, hanging out with it? Like, oh, I'm not going to oh, get into that Facebook mess. It seems like there's a little bit of a suspicious activity going on. There is, yes. Yes. And so, since the cops refused to go check it out, Bob Von Bush and Starkweather's brother Rodney went back to the Bartlett house themselves to do more than a cursory glance. Oh. Within minutes, they found Velda's corpse stuck halfway down the shithole. They found oh. her toddler daughter's body sitting next to it and Marion's carcass presumably pecked half to pieces under a screen door in the chicken coop because chickens are savage. I bet. Okay. I mean, it's small, a very, small chicken knows. head. Small you, chicken no, head you put a one chicken starts bleeding, all the rest of the chickens are going to peck it to death. Whoa. Mm-hmm. What is good this? Twitter? It's good <laughs> information. Thank you for that, Mark. <laughs> That's great. And so, finally, after days of friends and family ringing alarm bells loudly and constantly, the Lincoln PD issued an all points bulletin for Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugit. Charles and Carol Ann, however, were already on their way out of Lincoln. Specifically, the couple were headed to the town of Bennett, 15 miles south. There on the outskirts was the farm of one August Meyer, a Starkweather family friend. Charlie figured that he could lay low on the Meyer farm while they were planning their next move. It really was like Grand Theft Auto then, where if you just got to a random garage in a, oh. sm- in a slightly other area, yeah. like, no more stars. Scott Frey, you could literally <laughs> have a whole new life. Uh, you could just out. call yourself another name and mm-hmm. do a whole... It, but the key is, Kissel, is I do think you have to have like a skill. Like you have to be able to fit into that new society Although in some if way. You do have a skill, and all of a sudden, who is this new hot guy? He's really good at welding. <gasps> it's the wild a- welder of Cincinnati, Kentucky. <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> so maybe having no skill is the best to make you a broad figure. Mm. But Charles, despite being a hot rod enthusiast, he couldn't keep a car going for shit. Yeah, man, I'm a sneaker enthusiast. I don't know how to fucking sell one. Yeah, he's just be like. <laughs> If we actually made Jay Leno fix a car, I would love to see it. No, yeah, he, does. he does. Does he? Yeah, okay. yeah, he's just, no, a, regular he's just a regular guy. guy. I yeah, know yeah. he's a regular guy just like us. Comes into the green room and he brings his he own sits, car magazine. He sits right there. He brings his own magazine. No, I know. He's right a great guy. He only makes money off of his stand-up, you know. We're the only wow. ones who know this inside joke. I know. <laughs> One of Starkweather's tires were bent, and that was causing the car to shimmy, and the transmission was starting to act up. Because when, actually, when Charles Starkweather and Caroline Fugit first went on the run when they left the house, uh, they found that Charles had a uh, flat tire, so he put the spare on, but the spare was bent. So the whole time they're driving, <laughs> the fucking car is shimmying <laughs> along. <laughs> no, he is such a fucking mo- They could have, honestly, they had six days. Yeah. yeah. They had six days to sit and plan and figure this out. If this was the one thing that they wanted to do, if they thought that they were going to kill a family, and like, or specifically Chucky, if he thought they were going to kill this family and have freedom you figure that he would think like the freedom part absolutely like, what do we do with the next part but he didn't even think he's a moron 
Yeah. yeah. But the tire, that wasn't the first thing he had to fix. He had to fix the transmission. He could drive with a shimmy tire. So he stopped at a service station to get the transmission fixed. Carol, meanwhile, later claimed that she wrote a note that said, help police don't ignore, with the intention of passing it to service station owner Dale Smallcomb. That's the, the equivalent police. of the email I get from fucking the Biden administration. Oh, from the Ever DNC? be like, don't delete. And you'd be like, I assume <laughs> I deleted immediately. Why are all the emails from the DNC? It's too late. It's all like, I don't understand it. Delete it like, immediately. They, I had one that said, Ben, we're, uh, we're uh, what was it? We're, uh, Sorry, I, this is late. Yes, <laughs> something like this. It was very, they were mad at me. Yeah, they always are. However, no evidence of said note to the service station attendant was ever found. And even though Dale Smallcomb later said that he, quote unquote, smelled trouble from Charles, <laughs> oh, yeah. he fixed oh. the transmission and sent the young couple on their way without incident. Well, he was walking around, smoking, staring, being like, what have we done? What have we done? What is this going to be done? And then walking around, like staring down the road. He was real antsy. Yeah. And then yeah. what we'll see is, the thing is, is that Carol Ann goes too far in the other direction to prove her innocence by saying, yeah. well, at every point, I was always thinking of a way out of there. And it was like, I understand that you were paralyzed. You were paralyzed. You were par You were stuck in that, that car because she wanted to see what was like going up in the system. So the, oh. she actually stayed in the car while it got jacked up to the ceiling. Oh, like they, they do with the mechanics because it was fun. But she just stayed up there kind of to be away from, I think, to be away from Charlie because now he's yeah. a roving. He's just rolling around like a crazy person. Well, it's a different kind of amusement ride, but all right. Next, Starkweather and Fugit stopped off at old Homer Tate's Conoco station mm. so Charles could get the bent tire repaired. No, that, no gas here. All those, that's full of piss. It's seriously. <laughs> well, uh, yes, I'm sorry. You want to fill your car with piss? I just feel like it's so weird. All they're doing is making witnesses. Yeah. Well, at that point, Carol Ann walked by herself over to a nearby diner and got four hamburgers to go, but didn't <laughs> tell anyone what was happening for whatever reason. I don't know why. But from what Charles later claimed, the hamburgers were kind of shitty, and Carol Ann overreacted. From what Charles claimed, she said the burgers tasted like dog food and suggested <gasps> they go back and shoot up the place for serving shitty burgers. <laughs> Carol Ann, of course, denies this Mallory Knox-like behavior. Yes, because she was in there. There's, there's the witnesses that say... That Carol Ann, at that point, it looked like she was bossing Charlie around, which is kind of a dynamic they were having. He was, She was yelling at him being intense, which I can maybe see because, like, Charlie's also trying to keep her happy, too. Because up to this right. point, he was love bombing her. He, he mm -hmm. got that 200 bucks from the gas station, and they've been, like, living in a fantasy world, and now everything fell apart within a bunch of hours. But, like, I think she's just trying to talk like him. Yeah, you think so? Yes. Trying to do, yeah. be tough guy. Trying to, yeah, trying to be tough guy with him, trying to get in yeah. there with him. It was yeah. a strange episode of SpongeBob when Carol Ann went into Krusty Krab and just shot everybody. That's brutal. SpongeBob. That's <laughs> actually really brutal <laughs> and harrowing. Safe. And you even, but even you safe. just saying that, like, weirdly sent like a shiver up my spine. Can't kill yeah. SpongeBob. Yeah. The only thing yeah. that can kill it SpongeBob like is drying him out. You could dry him out. You're right. That's you it. could dry him out. Yeah. Y'all ever see that SpongeBob porno? <laughs> uh, it was just so bizarre because <laughs> yes, I did. I love it's it. one of the cleanest. Yeah, it's, it's very clean when you have sex with a sponge. Remember that episode of Seinfeld? Let's move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what we do know, however, is that Charles Starkweather loaded up on ammunition at Homer Tate's Conoco station, and it was with two fully loaded guns that he and Carol Ann continued on to the farm of August Meyer. 
Now remember, this was January, so when Charles turned onto the unpaved road covered in snow melt, his car sunk down into the nasty Nebraska mud down to the axles. And according to Charles, Carol Ann again suggested murder in response to this relatively minor annoyance. <laughs> sure. <laughs> for who? I don't uh, know. The God. August, August Meyer. Because yeah, August Meyer for, 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 for letting the roads. Yeah, yeah for oh, letting the road get all shitty. She's starting to sound like me. I'll <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, kill that motherfucker. <laughs> but the way Carol Ann told it, Starkweather had developed a taste for killing by this point because he was four victims in. And after a week of lying low, he was ready for another thrill. So they decided to walk to the Meyer farm to do the deed. Since it was still January in Nebraska, though, and since Charles was probably wearing his cool guy outfit instead of warm clothes, cool guy. they stopped off at a set of ruins that Charles knew from his childhood. Anyone who's grown up in a rural area knows that the ruins of old structures like schoolhouses and churches are everywhere. And anyone who grew up in Tornado Alley in particular, like, say, Nebraska, you know that a lot of these ruins have storm cellars. They do. Mm. And it's like, that's fun, though. Storm cellars are cool. They are cool. Storm cellars are the best. I spent the majority of my childhood playing around in storm cellars. I love storm cellars. Also, would you say that they kept you down there? <laughs> no. And you just you grew accustomed to like it in Jacob's a way? Jacob's Ladder? Yeah. No. Uh, uh, small winter I would say tip. it was the place where I went to go hide from the rest mm. of the world. Yeah. And it was very cool. nice down there with the spiders, just me and the spiders. Good. <laughs> He's allowed to have that. No, that's you? good. It made him it's an origin is. story for a supervillain. <laughs> Guess what he is? Oh. Yeah. He's yeah. Dirt Man. I was just Dirt Man a- was down there amongst his people in the cobwebs. He used cobwebs as money. Yeah, it's, it's a un- spider is his girlfriend. Yeah, it's just, underground. It was very hot in Texas at that period of time, and it's always cooler underground. Yeah, that's why Marcus. Oh, he's just hanging out with the spiders again. Yeah. <laughs> that's why corpses never sweat. This might be, I don't even know if that's true. They're very glassy, I think. I was yeah. going to give a winter tip for clothing. Just wear long johns. You can still dress fashionably. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, we're going to do that. Down there with the spiders again. He's probably kissing the spiders. <laughs> hey, mommy, mommy, you know, you, did you know you could milk a spider? He's like, hey, Marcus, why don't you just go back and hang out with the spiders? It was where he could safely read books. <laughs> That's right. Well, as it was on the August Meyer farm, there was indeed the foundation of an old schoolhouse. The storm Ooh. cellar contained therein was known to locals as the cave. Mm. And since August Meyer was a Starkweather family friend, Charles had been there many times throughout his childhood. So Charles and Carol Ann climbed down into the dank recesses of the cave to warm up before continuing on. Now, August Meyer was an old man, almost 80, a well-liked, lifelong bachelor, which ain't as uncommon as you might think in rural communities. Sure. Not a large dating pool. Some guys just missed the boat. Yeah, and yep. you're only like you're only different if you were like the guy that played the piano for all the local musicals. <laughs> then you're like that's a different type of bachelor, sure, like because yeah, they're sure. not really well kept and they, they got nice clothes on. This is a man who's probably right. just um like didn't have much. Well, I think the term is he didn't have much game. Yeah. It was either that somebody died or just the one that got away. Back in the day, if you just didn't if you didn't meet, meet her in high school, if she decided to go with oh, quarterback yeah. stew. You're screwed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's done. Mm -hmm. But that's just to say that when Carol Ann and Charles walked up to the Meyer home that afternoon, it was only August and his dog on the homestead. 
Now, what was weird was the dog was wearing a dress and lipstick. And I, I that's the one thing where it's like, you don't have to. Yeah. Why does he have that big congratulations sign on the thing? It's been up and there's all these cans tied yeah, to his wait, car. Did you marry your dog, bro? Now, as with every murder during the Starkweather rampage, there are multiple versions as to what happened. According to Charles, this murder and every murder after was self-defense. Oh, please. Jerk off motion. Yeah. Yes. He said that he and Carol Ann were warming themselves in Augie's barn when August came out with a gun and started yelling. He then refused to let Charles and Carol Ann inside his house. And when they tried pushing past, August fired a shot and missed. Also, that wouldn't fall into self-defense. That would be falling into you trying you to make a home invasion. A, yeah, you broke into yes. his house. Yeah. Well, Augie's gun jammed on the second shot. Mm. But when he went back into the house to get another, Charles says that's when he shot him. And indeed, August Meyer was killed by a shotgun blast to the back of the head. Oh. It was, however, done at point-blank range, which suggests something more akin to an execution-style murder. It oh, was it's absolute garbage. According to Carol Ann, she was like, she saw that the dog came out. She had a, uh, a version of it where she thought maybe the dog spooked him or she thought that August came out with the gun thinking that maybe he was like, didn't understand why the dog was barking and that maybe Charlie was reacting to August with the gun. I think all of it's horseshit. I think that mm -hmm. he went out because he left her in the car. I think he went up to the, like, this is where I, there's a lot of creative psychological forensics I'm going to be throwing around here. All right. Mm -hmm. So just follow me for <laughs> a second. Right. But I, is that, does that mean lies? No. Or, okay. It means storytelling <laughs> with no factual, because there is no facts to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah, it's yeah. all, it's all in the ether. There's sure. no way to find out objectively what happened. Okay. But mm -hmm. from the, my read from reading the material that I've read, let's call it educated storytelling. Thank okay, you. Edutainment. <laughs> this is the true, this is truly edutainment. Fantastic. But he, uh, I think what happened was that he has understood. We talked about this on our production call. He's immediately understanding that he gets shit from killing things. That yeah. If he can kill something that it's an easy way for him to fix problems in his mind, he thinks maybe I can just get away with all this. We'll just get out. We're going to bug out of town well, anyway. Is it possible that if they kill this guy, they can just kind of take his house? Maybe. It's the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, well, I mean, put in a different way, it's not necessarily that it solves every problem. It's that it solves every argument. Because yes. every You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, because every single murder that Charles Starkweather uh, commits, it's all about an argument for one reason or another. This one is an argument over like, hey, let me in your house so I can warm up. No, boom. You know, it's, I, and it's as simple I as that. I think but that's garbage just too. just has no, no long-term thinking whatsoever. It's just that no. killing solves an argument because as he said, dead people are all on the same level. Oh, this yeah. Is why. But it's not. But again, there's no, a, there's, there was no argument. There was nothing. He came out. He knew him his whole life. He knew Charlie. He knew him since he was a little boy. He saw him. He said, hey, me and my girlfriend are stuck outside. He doesn't know what's going on. He definitely invited them into the house. I believe that entirely. And that when he turned his back to walk back in the house, he said, fuck it, and just shot him in the back of the head because I've already killed four people. I've already yeah. done it. I'm now going to need to do this because then we're going to try to move into this house and then we're going to move on from there. But the problem is, again, it's mm -hmm. temporary. This yeah. is why, as I said on the last episode, when I'm an old man, I'm going to have little signs that say, get on my lawn. Because <laughs> you got to make them scared. And then it's just a sign of you sitting down in a chair, but there's a bunch of grass on your lap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. It might be a mannequin, but it'll freak. Get on my lawn. <laughs> but no matter how it went down, August Meyer, like Carol Ann's mother, Velda, he got dragged to the outhouse. Although Charles did learn his lesson. Instead of trying to stuff the corpse down the hole, Charles covered the body in a white sheet and shot Augie's dog just to be a dick. 
What in the world? Yeah. Now, yeah. what in yeah. the... Yeah, yeah, the, the first time he yeah. reacted. That's yeah. the first no, time Kissel reacted the first time with reacted. an emotional reaction. No, to I had emotional reactions. It's just, I just, you know, this couple, this couple therapy may be needed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some therapy. Just... Wow. Live from your grave. A roast as dark as the night, perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes. He's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of Spring Hill Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left. We bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. 
This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Well, Charles and Carol then search the house, finding a hundred bucks, some jello, and a couple of cookies. <laughs> they then walked back to their car with a shovel and Augie's 22 rifle so they could dig out Starkweather's Ford. And after about an hour of digging, Charles did manage to get the car free. But since he was an idiot, the car immediately slid into a ditch. <laughs> yeah. He's the worst getaway. <laughs> the idea of so even saying the term getaway artist, like no. what's the opposite of that? What's just the op- he- Yeah. Yeah, just a getaway driver, just a getaway yeah. just a man who gets a, not even just driver. This He's is not the first. Good. This is the first time he gets stuck in the mud. This is just the first time. We're going to be talking about getting stuck in the mud a lot over the next 15 minutes. Oh my god. Yeah, I like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> get on my lawn. Different kind of mud. Oh, I see. <laughs> When Charles tried backing the car out of the ditch, the transmission gave way and stripped the reverse gear. But while Charles cursed his luck, he and Carol saw headlights coming down the road. This time, it was another farmer named Howard Gannucci. Ooh. <laughs> and Gannucci only saw a young couple stuck in the mud needing help. Surprisingly, though, once Howard pulled the Ford free, Charles just gave him $2 and drove back to the Meyer farm. Okay, and then he just took his Nokia and went home. Yep. Mm-hmm. Once they got back to the Meyer farm, though, the white sheet used to cover Augie's corpse Ugh. was gone. <gasps> and Charlie got sent into a panic as to whether someone else was on the property. Sheets don't move unless it's ghost clothes. <laughs> Whoa. Honestly, that is kind of scary. Carol Ann, though, was obsessed with this idea that, like, that's why they left. Because she was like, his ghost is going to come back. And like, she was very oh scared God. of August Meyer's ghost. She kept saying, we better not be in there because the ghosts are coming. The ghosts are going to come. I'm sorry, just turned into Charlie. I'm also, I got some criticism about my Charlie voice because they sure. said he's not from New York. I made him sound yeah. like a New Yorker. But yeah. I don't know. It just happened. But also, guess what? Nebraska has no accent. I looked it all up. I try to create a character. They got a little bit of, they, they got the little Wisconsin You're accent. all lying to your fucking selves if you think he got one. Because yeah. I looked it up. I was like, this is the purest example of a Nebraska accent. And it's just somebody <laughs> going, hey, how you doing there? Yeah. <laughs> Corn certainly is rising, isn't it? That's the there. Now, he's gonna, there? I mean, he's going to have a, the hint, a hint of a hick accent. Like, I'm going to go out now. I'm going yeah, to yeah, kill I'm myself get. a couple of ladies. Like, he's going to yeah, pass out a hint, but yeah. Is that what you want me to do? I specifically requested that you use that specific See, voice for this episode. For I know. <laughs> Don't feed the haters. Ooh, yeah, wow. Wow. Good wow. word. Thank you. <laughs> well, because they were both scared about ghosts, they got back into the car and returned to old Homer Tate's Conoco station. There, Charles bought more ammo for his new 22 and asked employee Marvin Kruger if he had any maps of Kansas. See, oh yeah, because yeah. it's where yeah. he's got him. Yeah. He's yeah, got him. Where he's got. He's uh, he cl- got any maps for uh, the, the planet of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a different. Yeah. Each state got their own map back then. Oh yeah. No. Well, that's the thing, man. <laughs> he's not going to Kansas. <laughs> that's it, man. So, that's the, yeah, dude. Man, the thing, man, he's not. 
fucking going to Kansas. Chess. And totally <laughs> redeemed yourself. Get 17 miles a gallon on this hog. <laughs> what a fucking idiot. Yeah, no, he's not going to Kansas. He's just thinking that if the cops catch up to him up to this point and they say, like, hey, did you see Charles Starkweather? And the guy be like, yeah, man, he fucking bought like a map to Kansas. And then he, so bought like, this, he must like, be going to Kansas. He has his hat that said, go Huskers. <laughs> um, he's going down and he said something about like, oh, you got it. You should see the real Paris. Uh, it's in Kansas. Kansas. Yes, he couldn't stop singing about Kansas. Yes, going to Manhattan. Well, since Charlie's behavior was extremely suspicious, Marvin Kruger called the cops to see if they were interested in two teenagers, quote, buying ammunition and acting funny. What a fucking idiot. Yeah. So, but for all that the gas station attendant knows, he's just a dude. Oh, sure. So they're just like wearing all of what they've done on their faces. Yeah. There was already, though, there already was an APB out for both of them. Right. Yeah. But this there's guy an, didn't know. There's an APB. But the thing is, when he called the cops, they knew. Because there was yeah, an APB out on two teenagers who had just massacred an entire family. But the cops still said, eh, who gives a shit? Oh, teenagers love bullets. <laughs> <laughs> they love them. Yeah, some things never change. Well, meanwhile, Charles and Carol went back to the Meyer farm. But Charles lost his nerve, thinking that maybe, just maybe, someone was still there. So he turned around. But got stuck in the mud again. <sighs> they were almost gone. They were all each time, like, they're just about to leave town. Then he's just like, we got to go back. I think I might have left my socks. And you're like, what? And I just see that he's not wearing pants, no socks, just shoes and a shirt. <laughs> Rightfully thinking that his Ford was now a total loss, Charles and Carol Ann started hiking back towards the abandoned storm cellar to camp out, light a fire, and come up with a plan. But at the last second, Charles led them back to the highway so they could hitchhike. Just stay at the house. It's that, no, but the house, is not, the house, the ghost is there. Yeah, the ghost really is not, August though. Myers' ghost is there. You can't deal with that. I guess that's not. Smallest, even though they just made ghosts, you like, made the ghost. You number created one. And also, the ghost. That's all you have to deal with, and then you have a free house. Oh yeah. But this time, when someone picked up Charles Starkweather and Caroline Fugit, Charles would not be as generous as he was with Howard Gnucci. Early in the evening, two teenagers named Robert Jensen and Carol King were out running errands when they decided to head out to August Myers' farm for a little parking and heavy petting, as oh it was called goodness. back then. Yeah, we called it um, inner petting. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Must have been a very nice car full of fantastic music. Because of Carol King. Carol King. 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 Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you remember that? <laughs> Tapestry. Yeah, remember. Tapestry. Very Love good. that album. It's a good album. It's fine. I'm starting a new show called All Dogs in Space. <laughs> Put them all up there so they can maybe colonize. And then once we get to Mars, it's going to be super cute. That would be a great I, idea. I, I vote against it. I vote against the space dog show. Because honestly, a lot of those space dogs died of asphyxiation. They all, all did. Them, I don't all think them one did. of them lived. Yeah. No, none of them lived. No, no Lyca's yeah. corpse, corpse is still orbiting the Earth right now. God is bless right? Yeah. Mm. Probably doesn't like that too much. <laughs> That's stupid. Yeah. I, I fucking, love it. I, I love I, it. I'm just saying, you know I love what? it. It's the best thing. It's the best joke he's had yeah. in 15 years. Absolutely. <laughs> and so but, it's Russian, too. It's a Russian joke. Yes. Yeah. But just before they got to the turnoff, just before Robert Jensen and Carol King got to the turnoff, where they were just going to go make out like a couple of regular teenagers, they saw a fully armed, mud covered couple and decided to stop. No! 
They probably thought, ah, they're out hunting. You know, it's rural Nebraska. They're out hunting. They got into a bit of a bad spot. Let's go and help them out. Yeah, there was a Sharknado. Right. They fell (laughs) down into a mud. You know how it is with, um, what's it? Remember the the mud you could sink into? Quicksand? So scary. It is scary. It's a real threat. It truly (laughs) is. And coincidentally, another reason why they may have stopped Robert Jensen actually knew Charles Starkweather from the hot rod scene. Although it is not known whether Robert pulled up and said, hop on in, or saw Starkweather and thought, oh no, not this fucking idiot. From what the book says, because they're reading a little bit of Wasteland, it did seem a little, it was a mixture of the two. Because again, (laughs) he had a reputation of being the Charles Starkweather of the hot rod community. Right. Where Mm -hmm. he is, no matter where, where he goes, He's still Chuck. But and he has nice. that special flair where he just makes everybody really upset. But at that point, he's just an annoying kind of douchebag. Yeah. We were like, let's be nice to him, pick him up. But then yeah. you find out. Either way, Charles and Carol Ann climbed into the back seat of Robert Jensen's car and took a ride back into town. Eventually, though, Charles pressed the muzzle of his 22 into the back of Robert's skull and said that if he followed directions, nobody would get hurt. So, instead of going to the nearest town of Bennett, Starkweather instructed Jensen to go back to Lincoln for some reason. Oh, my God. But again, Charles changed his mind and told them to return to the Meyer homestead. Particularly, Starkweather wanted to go back to the cave. Now, Charles told his prisoners that they were just going to leave him there and take the car. And Robert Jensen believed him enough where he gave Starkweather advice on how to drive his hot rod without fucking it up like Charles had done with his own car. You got to hug her to the curves. You got to shift her with the shifters. It's like that kind of stuff where you're like, what? Yeah. Like, like, I don't what? know what they mean. No, it's, it's stuff like, you know, like don't go over bumps fast because she'll bottom out. You'll fuck up. You'll break the axle. It's stuff yeah. like yeah, that. You see you all that how fucking drove. mud? Avoid it. <laughs> yeah. You know how like you drove it directly, your car, your fucking car, you drove it directly into that? It does Sword remind around me. It. When I was yeah. in high school, I was driving my Thunderbird. And there was a snowbank and I'm real stupid. Uh, I crashed into it like 10 times and I would see it. I'd be like, <laughs> I got to slow down. But then I just did. Yeah. And I would just always crash into it. And I was like, I just, come on, Ben. You got to figure this out. But again, here's where things get muddled. And I think that's for good reason. Because the murders of Robert Jensen and Carol King are by far the worst committed by Charles Starkweather. Now, from what Starkweather later said, Fugit almost immediately got carried away once they arrived back at the cave. He said that she pointed a gun at the couple and robbed them, then threatened to kill Carol King. And indeed, Fugit did admit to committing armed robbery that night. She, and I buy this, I believe yeah. that in when they're in the back seat, they're driving, he hands her a gun, she takes it. So she had a gun on Carol King and he had a gun in the back of Robert Jensen. And they were coming back around to to the where the the they were gonna get getting him out and gonna go walk him over to the cave. But I think this is where her involvement immediately stops. Where then she's like, because then she stayed in the car. And he's like, mm-hmm. All right, I'm gonna take them this way over here. And then he took them to the cave and he was gone way longer than he should have been. And then she heard the series of shots from the car. I mean, she knew what was going to happen. But as far as at least the murder of Robert Jensen went, Charles said that it was again in self-defense. Starkweather claimed that Robert tried grabbing the gun, and in the scuffle, Robert lost balance and Charles shot him. This, however, does not explain why Charles shot him nine times and shot him nine times in the head. It's also not self-defense. 
None of it is self defense. It's really, it doesn't <laughs> really make any sense. Yeah, you had the gun. And he keeps, like, it's this idea that anybody would believe that every single time anybody was dead around Charles Starkweather, that it always involved some Air Force One style, yes. like, yay, fighting over a gun. <laughs> and each one of them died with some going, whoa, 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 and then the rifle spitting up in the air and falling and then accidentally discharging nine times in the back of his head. Hear me out. And, Face off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that well, makes sense. But that, that's not how shit works. No, it well, doesn't. He was shot nine times execution style in the back of his fucking head. Oh. Well, well, he's got, Charles Starkweather has that sociopathic thing of, you know, they forced me to do it. This is their fault. If they would have just done what I said, then I society. never would have had to kill them. It was society. It's all It started their fault. with society oh, and now okay. it is a microcosm of society. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. In his mind, it is self-defense. I mean, technically it started with James Dean. It did. Yeah. But again, either way, Robert's body was then dragged to the storm cellar and thrown down the stairs into the dark. As far as Carol King went, there are multiple versions to that as well, and none of them are good. No. In one version, King was left alive in the storm cellar with her boyfriend's body while Charles and Carol tried driving away. But once again, oh they God. got stuck, stuck in the mud, the mud. Oh for the God. fourth time. So, while Charles got the car unstuck, he said he told Caroline Fugit to guard Carol King. But while Charles was digging out the car, he said he heard a gunshot and found Caroline standing over Carol King's dead body. Allegedly, Carol King had tried to run, and Caroline told Charles that she had no choice but to shoot her. Her body was then taken to the storm cellar, and that was that. Sorry, I'm going to have to give that a whammy. Whammy. <laughs> I mean, a whammy. whammy. I, don't, uh, I don't agree. <laughs> Again, the evidence tells a different story. Carol King's body was indeed found on top of Robert Jensen's corpse in the storm cellar, but her coat had been pulled over her head and her pants were pulled down around her ankles. She was covered in mud and bloodstains from her torso to her knees, and she'd been found shot in the head below the ear execution style, and while there was no semen found, her genitals and rectum had been stabbed multiple times by a narrow double-edged blade. Ugh. Now, Carol Ann said that Charles raped King, but Carol Ann also said that Charles left King alive, which doesn't match a Soviet-style execution gunshot wound to the back of the ear. Charles, meanwhile, initially confessed to the rape, but later claimed that he only said that to cover for Carol Ann's mutilation of King's genitals. I think it is abs. I think all of that oh is absolute goodness. garbage. I think yeah. that he shot both of them together. Again, it's just fucking Occam's razor it and really look at it. Yeah. She sat in the car. Because one story she says is that she was just in the car. Carol Ann sat in the car, you see yes, what I mean? Yes, Carol Ann yeah. sat in the car heard the series of gunshots and he came back way later than he wanted. And then maybe she came out and looked at the corpses. I'm not certain, but as soon as she saw that the, that uh, Carol King was undressed and bleeding, she freaked out. And I, I actually think I, I believe this. I believe that they went and she saw the evidence of what happened because this is what really shows he was fucked up because he sat with corpses for a second. Yeah. And then he looked at a woman 
a, a naked woman's body, and then Charles Starkweather decided to experiment. Like we have seen oh, with you think serial he's a killers. No, it's just it's the curious. It's how do you say it's, it? the, it's curiosity? It's the childlike mutilation. You know, it's Ugh. the sort of thing. It's the sort of thing that you know a sociopathic kid does with like a rabbit. But because Charles Starkweather is a sociopath and sees no, he sees no distinction, he just sees flesh that he can experiment with. He gets to do something with it. He has this moment. This and it escalates. All of these crimes escalate. Everything yeah. gets worse and worse and worse because he is becoming over an eight day period. He's becoming a serial killer. Like, and wow. I, I see that in his head. He is now like he's already doing that thing where he's mm -hmm. now like following his darkest impulses because it's the the cat is out of the bag. Yeah. Well, after the murders, the door to the cellar was covered with garbage and Charles got back to work getting the car unstuck from the mud. By 10.30, he was successful, and the couple returned to Lincoln, having committed three more murders in two locations in a matter of hours. On the way to Lincoln, though, Carol Ann tossed some of Robert's old textbooks out the window, later saying that she did it in the hopes of leaving a trail for the cops. Charles, meanwhile, was heading back to the Bartlett place like an idiot possibly half hoping that they could just return to the kingly week they spent together immediately after killing Carol Ann's family. Well, they are incredibly stupid. Because there's this mixture. Because According to the Carol Ann story, she says that he promised to take her home. He said, all right, mm. this is over. I'm going to take you home. And, goes, and I actually kind of see this in a weird way where he actually maybe did say something like that. Like, we're just going to go home. We're going to go home. This has all gotten out of control. I've gone, like, we're all going nuts. We're going to do it. But he doesn't understand. Again, it's that fantasy extension of, like, right. you can't go home. Nobody. You knew. fucked it all up. It's all over. You've murdered fucking seven people. Right. But at the last second, he again changed his mind, deciding instead that the best plan would be to hide out with his brother Leonard in Washington State. Before that could happen, though, Starkweather decided that they needed a more reliable form of transportation, which could most likely be found amongst Lincoln's wealthier residents. Listen, listen, Caroline, I know I've been bad. You know, all this has been bad, right? Right, it has been really listen, bad. Listen, I've heard the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile is parked in Lincoln right now. <laughs> is that right? And Do you think, think about has... you and me, baby, mm -hmm. hot dogging our way across this great <laughs> I mean, country of ours. I do I'm love it. the horn, shooting yeah. ketchup at the cops, That's fucking on mustard. <laughs> I do like that idea. It is an awesome mobile. I, I got I, I got a hot dog from the one Apparently, time. Apparently, the transmission's a mess, though. I'm going to have to drop it at the shop before <laughs> we go. Great. You don't think you'll get that stuck in the mud, do you? No. No, because it seems bigger than all the other cars. It seems more difficult to drive, but... Meanwhile, Robert's textbooks were indeed found on the side of the road by Tuesday morning, and by noon the next day, the whole of Bartlett, Nebraska, was searching for Robert Jensen and Carol King. Pretty soon, a neighbor named Merle Bolt found Charlie's 1949 Ford stuck in the mud up to its axles in the middle of a field. Merle went and told a neighbor named Hubert Beecham, oh, and they Lord. figured that the Ford belonged to wanted criminal Charles Starkweather. Okay. Once the cops were not, yeah, and fucking Hubert and and Merle are the only two people in the story with a fucking brain. <laughs> the Hubert and Merle detectives. sound like it though. Yeah, I mean, oh, honestly, all yeah. <laughs> time because you, you're like, yeah, it looked like the getaway car of that murderer. Yep. yep. <laughs> and now you can tell right there because of the swerve to the side, you used to be driving pretty fast, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Case, <laughs> solved, closed, done. 
Well, once the cops were notified, 25 men were sent to August Meyer's farm. Once arrived, they tear-gassed Augie's house oh my before God. searching it. And you see the ghost fly out. <laughs> oh! <laughs> they didn't find Charles Starkweather, but they soon found the body of August Meyer in the outhouse. Meanwhile, another farmer checked the storm cellar known as the cave on a hunch and notified police when he found two bodies down in the dark. By 4 p.m., over 100 cops had arrived on the Meyer farm, and Charles Starkweather had another three bodies attached to his name, bringing the total to six. At around the same time, Guy Starkweather, Charlie's father, told Bob Von Bush that Charles had called and said he was coming back to Lincoln via Highway 6 to kill Bob for his trespasses. It's just, it's so stupid. There's some question about whether or not that was a prank call or not. Yeah. But instead of calling the cops, Bob and Charlie's brother Rodney rode out to Highway 6 with a length of rope, hoping they could intercept and hogtie Charles so they could hand him over to the cops. That would be fun. They're going to hogtie the car? Well, they're going to get <laughs> him out of there. I don't... They're going to get him out of there, and then they're going to hogtie him. They're going to hogtie like, Yeah, you'll be like, oh, damn it, damn it, yeah. you got me, you got me. Wow. Charles, of course, never showed because by the time everyone had found the bodies of August Meyer, Robert Jensen, and Carol King, he'd already killed two more people in Lincoln. Well, because they found out the ultimate way to hide from the cops. You sleep when the cops sleep because they only had like three uh, patrol cars at the time. It was the whole thing. And so you just go to sleep. At, once you go to sleep at 3 a.m., everyone's asleep. Okay. The cops go to sleep too there. All right. See, after arriving back in Lincoln in the wee hours of January 28th, just after they'd killed the two teenagers, Charles and Carol Ann slept in the car they'd stolen until 7 a.m., then started cruising the wealthier neighborhoods for a suitable getaway car. Hold on, baby. We're going to wait until it's light outside. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking <That> is- idiots. <laughs> well, eventually, they settled on the home of wealthy businessman and lawyer C. Lauer Ward. Somewhat like the LaBianca house chosen by the Manson family, the wards were targeted for a tangential reason. Charles had once shoveled snow from their driveway, and there really wasn't much more to it than that other than a vague resentment towards Lauer Ward's success. Yeah, he was, uh, this is his whole thing, because that's why they went to the fancy neighborhood, because he's right. just like, all these have-sums, and else have-nots. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. this is why I'm doing the what I'm doing. Like, he, got, he believed on some, in some way that he was a, uh, a, a working man's hero. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And so Charles and Carol Ann arrived at the ward home at 8 a.m. If you're a working man's hero, you got to work. Get a hold of job. I really do think that's the job. If you're a working man's hero, you got to work. You should have like a job. Blue yeah. open chicken man in Philly last night. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> well, Charles went to the front door first with one of his 22 rifles and a hunting knife. But when Charles knocked on the door, it was not one of the wards who answered but their housekeeper, Lillian Finkel. Charles pushed his way inside and asked if anyone was in the house, and eventually Lillian told him that Clara Ward was upstairs, waiting for Lillian to finish cooking breakfast. So, Charles said, finish it, and watched Lillian as she worked. Uh, it's, it's really funny, because Lillian was scary. also mostly deaf. Yeah. And so he had to do everything by, like, because, again, he realized she's been like, do what I fucking tell you to do. And then she literally, like, points to her ears like, I can't oh hear you. Yeah. And then he and has also to write a dog it all barking. out. There's a dog barking, a dog named Queenie, a Labrador yeah. retriever named Queenie, barking really loud. Eventually, he starts, like, writing messages, on, like, writing shit down, like, who else is in-house and shit yes. like that. Oh, wow. And, he, and if you, you'll get to his spelling, 
Yeah. It wasn't very good. I can imagine. And after a short period, Clara came down. And Charles told her that he just needed a place to lie low, and if she cooperated, no one would get hurt. Carol Ann was then called inside from the car, and she brought the shotgun. Once everyone was in the house, Charles told Lillian to make him pancakes, then changed his mind to waffles. Mm -hmm. oh. And after Lillian made a stack, Charles sat there and ate six waffles Woo! while Carol Ann held their prisoners at gunpoint. To oh, be yeah. honest, you don't really hear about stacked waffles very often. You know, I, I wish that we did. Large waffle. I wish we did. It's like ravioli when you go and get ravioli at the restaurant. And they only give you like five. And it's just yeah. been like, I could eat like 57. Yeah, you fat <laughs> motherfucker. It's not about how much you can eat. Yeah, it's it about is. a serving size. I'm here outside. I'm here at the restaurant. the amount of money that you paid for it. You're like, yeah, but still. I can still eat way more of these. Yeah, but they have to they have to buy the goods and then they price it so that they can make a little profit. Whatever, I'm here to eat raviolis. Yeah, you're never going to get Henry to like unstick the correlation between Italian food and I must eat as much Italian food as much right. as much Italian food as possible because that's how I know my mother loves me. That's at least, how I eat it. At least that's it's healthy. It. At least it's good for you. It's not the worst possible thing <laughs> for I love Italian cheese and carbs. I do love well, Italian food. Yeah, me too. Add it last Wait night. Wait till we're sitting there. We're sitting there fucking having raviolis together. No, and you're going to look at the pile. You, you know for a fact we're both of us are going to be like, oh. No, well, then we'll buy uh -oh. more. We'll buy more. What are we, man? I can't be. That's how. Oh, God, whatever, You're man. such a fucking queen's bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to buy more. You mean to buy more? You showed me up. <laughs> you, had, you had 15 already. Ain't mm. enough. Well, after eating six waffles, Charles Jeez. Starkweather took a nap. And Carol Ann watched the two women as they tried going about their regular day. Yeah, they literally oh sat there and they're God. like, what do you want us to do? And and Lillian was at some point turned to her and she was like, what if we just, can we just do our day? And she was like, yeah. Oh, my and God. And so they just lived their day while Charlie went to sleep. This is, again, why She's they so are just, but again, they're, they're, they're kids. They're kids. So there's a scary element because of that. I think that where, because uh, also during this time period, the entire neighborhood is becoming armed. Like everybody's buying guns. Because they, was, they're afraid of this they're story? They're afraid of these kids. They're really afraid of what's happening. The fear is there. I was, I was watching one documentary where the, uh, the, the sheriff was like, you and not only was there no guns available after the end of the day, but I'm pretty certain there wasn't even a bow and arrow. That you mm -hmm. could find anywhere because everyone was itching to get their hands and them kids. And like, well, that's like, but then he said that the town was ripping itself to pieces. He's mm -hmm. like, I couldn't possibly believe. I was like, we almost lost control that day. Can it you seems believe? like you did lose control no. a long time ago. When yeah, you but we're talking about the law abiding citizens with <laughs> guns. Oh, okay. Well, once Charles woke up, he and Carol Ann looked through the newspapers and read stories about the only murders that had been thus far discovered that of Carol Ann's family. They then cut out the articles and the pictures of themselves as keepsakes. Now, as far as how things got out of hand this time, according to Charles, Clara Ward got a hold of a rifle of her own while she and Charles were upstairs, and Clara took a shot. She did, however, miss. She then tried running away, but Charles claims that he threw a knife which sunk into Clara's back. Because oh, he's Indiana Jones. He did not he's do so that. He did incredible. not do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what Charles actually said is that he, when they were in the uh, Bartlett house for that week when they were playing house, he said they spent a lot of time practicing throwing knives. Yeah. You see? <laughs> and that's solely, and that's actually, and it really is a, like doing it in action. That's not why guys go to boot camp right. for mm -hmm. nine months to learn how to kill by the, from the government. 
Yeah, well, that's also, that's Charles's like tough guy image. Like a guy just like sitting there in front of a tree and like throwing a knife and having it tough stick guy. in. And you tough grab guy. the knife and then you walk back and you throw the knife and it sticks it in. You it's do like, that whoa. for six hours. Got him again. Oh, Fuck yeah. you, Ant. <laughs> yeah, get out of here. I'm going to really piss off people who love trees. Yep. Arbor Day. It's a big deal. It is. Absolutely. In some societies. Yeah. Supposedly, Charles pulled out the knife and went downstairs for a fucking Band-Aid. But when he came back, Clara was trying to call the police. He then tore the phone. Call the police. Call the police. He then tore the phone out of the wall, tied her up, left her in the bedroom, and that was that. The autopsy actually showed that Clara Ward died from multiple stab wounds. And at one point, Caroline Fugit did take responsibility for this murder in particular. She said that she stabbed Clara Ward in the throat with her own mother's kitchen knife that she'd brought with her on the trip. I don't believe it either. Wait, she had your mom's kitchen knife with her this yeah, whole time? Yeah, they already said it would snap. Yeah, then she said she sprayed perfume around the room to mask the scent of blood like she and Charles had done after killing her parents. Ooh, now it smells like the Met Gala. Yeah. <laughs> However, she, yeah, blood and perfume. Yeah, that's how it's <laughs> you the blood on the hands of the people yeah. that go to the Met Gala. It takes a lot of perfume. However, she later said that she never even went into the room where Clara Ward died, and instead she hid in the bathroom drinking soda while Charles did the deed. She just lives like Eric Cartman trying to hide I the mean, sugar impulses he has. It, it, it's true. And indeed, the autopsy reported that Clara was killed by a double-edged knife, not something often found in a kitchen drawer, which is mm. kind of, it's just insane. I don't understand why Carolyn Fugit would admit to this murder. I don't know why she would make up this story. I think that what happened, but this is my read. This is the, this is where it gets really complicated because yeah. we, all of them, this murder was actually surprisingly brutal. She yeah. was stabbed multiple times from the front, right? She was tied up and stabbed to death on oh, the bed. Man. That is basically how it happened. She didn't brutal. just die from a random wound from his knife throwing thing. This, I think that it was a scenario where she was, I believe at this point, Carol Ann is truly terrified of Charlie. Yeah. More than ever before. I think right now she, she is She could have just terrified. killed him when he took a nap after it, six waffles. You're, this is a lot, right? It's a lot. He's also her entire world now. He's killed her entire family. She has nowhere else to go. This is now her mentor and and it's her fucking daddy figure essentially but they're still uh, um, they're still equals mentally. So I think what happened is that she was in the room when he was stabbing her to death. Maybe holding her down, maybe doing a thing, and then afterwards she saw what happened. Like she mm -hmm. saw her get stabbed, but then just she had been kind of caught up between like what what am, am I responsible? Am I put into this thing? I'm she's freak. She's her brain is like she's freaking out. Better have yeah. some soda. Yeah. Seriously. Now by six p.m. on January twenty eighth, everyone killed on the Meyer homestead had been found. But Clara Ward's husband, Lauer, had no reason to suspect that he'd have anything to do with it. Indeed, when he arrived home that night, he was coming from a meeting with the governor. Ward was a bigwig. Now, Charles claims again that there was a struggle for the gun, as there always supposedly was. But forensics show that Lauer Ward was shot twice in the throat and once in the temple immediately upon entering his own home. Mm -hmm. Then he was stabbed in the back between the shoulder blades. Oh, yeah. As far as housekeeper Lillian Finkel went, she was tied to a bed in the upstairs bedroom and had been stabbed repeatedly in the chest and stomach. Her legs, arms, and hands were covered in defensive wounds and reportedly oh. 
When the body was found, her mouth and eyes were wide open. Oh, yeah. No, it was scary. Like, this is the thing. It got fucked up in that house. It did. Like, something happened. That's and that's brutal, why, you're like, man. when you, that's what I was thinking about last night. We're like, that is where everything kind of, like, all of the wheels fell off. And now they're all kind of, they don't know where, they don't know what to do. This is the no, true meaning. That's why I feel like, in a way, this case, obviously, has been very scary to people for very long, for a very yeah. long time. People found this, and this is a part of it. It's because it's yeah. what we've talked about in countless other episodes. Sometimes you, that childlike thing that is the disconnect. It's like a, it's a disconnect between you and reality. It can make you do a lot of fucked up stuff. And it's also, yeah. as we've talked about, just your life got confronted by two morons and all the work you did. All gets, gone. everything gets ripped to pieces because uh. it's total, it's literally just the power of total chaos. Mm-hmm. Jeez Louise. Jeez I mean, Louise. That's, Jeez wow. Louise. That's really my good. official. Wow. Jeez. Jeez. Wow. Louise. I mean, really, when you look at this murder, I mean, it's somewhat of a it's somewhat of like a 1950s version of the Manson family. Yeah, um, exactly. except it's not hippies; it's juvenile delinquents. And wow, no that cult is of, interesting. Yeah. It is true. It is very similar because similar. they are products of their time. They oh. are yeah. like it's such a specific 1950s ideal, like that idea of being like a moralist, like what's it, fucking rebel, rebel, literally with a rebel without a cause, like mm-hmm. that thing, and then. This is what happens to rebels without a cause. They do this type of shit where it's like there is no cause. And the emptiness of it also speaks to something. We're like, they got nothing out of it. It's yeah. just it was just their chaos spreading into into all of Lincoln. Most rebels without a cause just sort of grow out of it and then they go to go see Rage Against the Machine at Madison Square Garden with better seats <laughs> yeah. than they ever expected to have. Yeah, most of them turn into Republican <laughs> House of Representatives. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Ryan, remember him? I'll tell you this, when I went inside, when I did indeed go see Rage Against the Machine at Madison Square Garden, I found out why people like Paul Ryan really love Rage Against the Machine, because like while half of the audience was actually singing along to the words, there was one dude behind me and other dudes all around that were just going like, they were not screaming, killing in the name of, they were just singing like along the to the funny, I mean, just loving the riffs, man, loving the we, guitar. Without Tom Morello. The man's lyrics aren't as good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after everyone in the house was dead and the nefarious couple scrounged all they could, they got into Lauer Ward's 1956 Packard and drove around town aimlessly before again heading toward the Bartlett house. What? But when they saw a car in the driveway, they turned around, stopped for gas, then got on Highway 2 through central Nebraska on their way to Wyoming. They're finally leaving town. Yes, they're finally leaving town. It seems like their brains aren't capable of leaving. Yeah. Like they're not psychologically think, capable of doing what I they agree. have to do. I believe that yeah. it's, it's a true fear of the freedom. They did not know, they, they don't understand what they've done. Mm-hmm. from your grave. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, it's me, man. Yeah, bro. Henry Zabrowski is smoking some of that sweet last podcast of the left, babe. Go out there and purchase yourself some. I hope you enjoy it. We have sativa, we have indica, and we have a hybrid. And I have to tell you, from my personal experience, they are wonderful. Super tasty live resin. You really get the delicious weedy taste, which is what I like. And three different experiences. You go to your local vape store and get it. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We absolutely love you. Can't wait to see you on the road and get that vape. Put it in your brain and have a good time. And if you want us at your favorite weed store, give them a call and ask for them by name. Last podcast on the left. It's weed. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. 
Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now, by this point, sightings of Starkweather and Fugit spanned four states. And while the mayor of Lincoln offered an obligatory $500 reward, the head of the garbage union ponied up $100 himself, either out of some strange sense of responsibility or just because he hated Charles Starkweather that much. That's the thing with the garbage man. Moral. Moral. (laughs) (laughs) But when the bodies of Lauer and Claire Ward were discovered by a cousin, the tone of the investigation shifted. Whereas before, Starkweather had only killed those of his own station— He'd now killed two wealthy citizens. Oh, yeah. Extra people. Extra people (laughs) plus. And so instead of just a couple of roadblocks, the governor sent out spotter planes and mobilized 200 members of the Nebraska National Guard. Hold on now. We killed one of us? That is literally what he did. You killed him. You killed him. You killed one of us. It was complete with combat gear, M1 rifles, military jeeps outfitted with 30 caliber machine guns. Jesus. Citizens, meanwhile, went out and bought their own guns, then very quickly formed posses. Oh, yeah. People ready to go. It went immediate Old West. Yeah, sounds like it. But while the net was closing in around Starkweather and Fugit, their murder spree was not yet at an end. Hmm. See, one possible reason why Charles hadn't been recognized yet was because people were looking for a peckerwood of the redheaded variety. Mm. Oh. But just before leaving the ward home, Starkweather had slathered his mop with black shoe polish to hide his identity. <laughs> so he looked like a wet moron. Yes. And What's so, the kid from Adam's family in the original scene? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was it the Munsters? Maybe it was the Munsters kid. Yeah, yeah he looked like Eddie Munster. Munster. Yeah. 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 He covered himself in, in, in gunk, right? And then he mm-hmm. put some hat on, some like summer <laughs> straw hat on. Mm-hmm. And so then he was driving like very conspicuous. Truly conspicuous, yeah. So when they stopped off for cheeseburgers at around 1 a.m. after killing the wards, no one recognized Charles Starkweather. But since killing the wards and their housekeeper, Charles said that something between him and Carol Ann had shifted. His feelings towards Carol Ann had started to change, he said, and he was very suddenly struck with the near inevitability that he was going to die in a shootout with the cops, which he very much did not want. That's important to know about Charles Starkweather. He was not on a suicide mission at all. He didn't, he didn't uh, want to die in the process of this. He kind of, again... It almost he, makes him dumber. Yes, yes, <laughs> because he kind of thought that maybe they could get away with all of it. And But also at the same time, he's ranting about his dreams of death and how him and death are, are friends and they It'll go in hand in hand worry about it. and all this kind of shit. Yeah. So Carol Ann is getting more and more reticent as this is going. Like, she is seeing that this is not, like, this is headed nowhere good. And he's saying he doesn't want to die in a shootout. But guess what? We're, they're headed right for it. They're, yeah. and it's so like when I sees, say I don't want to die of diabetes and still Uber Eats every night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, God such, sake. when Starkweather stopped for gas about 100 miles from the Wyoming border, he was a little jumpy. In addition... 
he very obviously had hair that was suspiciously gummed up with black shoe polish. <laughs> so the attendant called the state troopers, but again, no one came to investigate. The National Guard was there. What is happening? The National Guard, all of these people showed up to stand around. They literally <laughs> go like, oh, they all came and they were like, all right, when's the invasion? And mm -hmm. then they just what see the two children like covered in shoe polish. Again, they're 19 and 14. This is 1958. They're not I, five. They, they're she, not a five, Carolyn, and, they're not a a five and six year old in 2022. I'm still pointing that she Caroline's a child and he is basically a child. Yeah. Maybe in terms of mental state, but just looking yeah. at him, they're them being out there. I was driving at the age of 11. Like I was driving to <sighs> this school. This is not good, Marcus. I was driving to school when the, I was 12. The That's arresting how it, picture rural of America is different. I know. I was well, like, Carol Ann's picture reminded me that she was a child. When I looked yeah. at the picture of her arrest, I looked yeah. at her and she's very, very, and to very be fair, small. Marcus, if I saw you driving at 12 to school and I passed you, but there's a child driving that car. Yeah, I'd be pissed. <laughs> if there's a kid driving yes, a car. I would be pissed as an adult driving. <laughs> but it's still, it's rural America. Shit works differently out there, especially in 1958. I gave a speaking gig at a, at a college that did end up getting the booker fired because I did so great. And uh, their children. <laughs> Until you're 40, I don't know what you are. Exactly. So by 1 p.m., after stopping near the Wyoming border for candy bars and nine bottles of Pepsi, which doesn't really help my argument. <laughs> yes, this is what I'm saying. Charles and Carol Ann heard on the radio that the wards and their housekeeper had been found dead. So they decided it would be a good idea to get rid of the Packard. And so just over the border, Charles and Carol Ann spotted a brand new Buick on the side of the road that they figured was abandoned. But inside that Buick, taking a nap after a long night of driving, was an unlucky traveling shoe salesman named Merle Collision. Whoa. Oh, I thought you were going to say his name was Michael Jordan's father. Yeah, it was <laughs> an unlucky shoe salesman. That's horrible. His name is Merle Collision. That is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, That's Merle another Merle. Second Merle. Yeah, a lot of yeah. Merles. Yeah, Merle's a pretty common name around this time. Uh-huh. Now, once Charles pulled over and saw Merle in the back, he tapped on the window and told Merle to unlock the doors because they were about to trade cars. When Merle ignored him, though, Charles produced his rifle and shot Merle nine times. Oh, my God. Now, there were only two bullet holes in the Buick, which implies that some of the wounds were suffered outside of the car. And Charles said that when Merle started talking about how he had a wife and kids, Carol Ann said, too bad, and finished him off with seven Jeez. more shots. Carol Ann, of course, denies this. Yeah. But after Merle was dead, Charles, despite being a so-called hot rod guy, oh, he yeah. couldn't figure out how to release the parking brake oh my on God. Merle Collision's Buick. I fucking hate these people so much. They're man. all, they're not good. They're not good at it. No. And that is when a good Samaritan named Joe Sprinkle pulled up to help. Yep. Now, oh, Joe Sprinkle is. very quickly saw Merle Collision's dead body and surmised that he was in trouble, especially after Starkweather pointed a rifle and said, help me release a parking brake or die. <laughs> I surmise You're going to get me out of this burger. Honestly, look at this. I all surmise right? I'm I need in this trouble. emergency brake sprung right now. And this is a oh Sisyphean, Sphinxian <laughs> style. Oh, my God. Oh, I got to step on a lever, right? You're a moron. But in contrast to every other story in which Starkweather said that the victim went for the gun, this time Starkweather had a bit of trouble when Joe Sprinkle grabbed the barrel. In fact, Charles was so weak that Joe Sprinkle was able to actually drag him into the road by the gun while Charles kicked and clung to the gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 mister. Oh, mister. This is why if anybody fought him, 
She was minuscule. They would have wiped the floor with them. It's at this moment, though, that fate stepped in when a sheriff's deputy named Bill Romer just happened upon the scene. Once Deputy Romer stopped, Carol leaped from Merle Collision's Buick and ran towards him yelling, quote, Take me to the police! He's killed a man! Oh and when the deputy God. asked who he was, Carol Ann dramatically yelled, Charles Starkweather! Wow. <laughs> she's not a... Uh, she's not guilty of anything herself, but is she? It, it's one of those things where she she finally got the, the she it was too hot. It finally got too hot. She yeah. finally just had she had to run. Well, it was also they were like, about to be busted, so this would be the time yes. for her to flip, right? I the thing is, is that from the readings and the interviews, she just like she could have shot that, him in the head when he took a nap after she, six. She waffles. had none of that. She had none of that in her. She had none of that in her. She was not very smart. She went through this whole thing. Yeah, she, she was terrified of him. She was deeply terrified. And then finally, she was like, "I can get out right now." But I don't think she had that much going on in the background. I don't think right. that she was no. a plotter. Neither one of them were. Like, she couldn't figure out how to, like, once she got into the confession room, she tried to figure out how do I make sure I'd always position myself as innocent because I know I have to. But also, at the same time, she was vaguely a hostage to this psychopath. And I do I think that she was doing what she did to get along for as much as she could. And then finally, it was like, all right, it's starting to bust open. What's the name of the old gal there? Stockholm Syndrome. The face. Taddy Hurst. Taddy Hurst. Very similar. Boom. Patty Hearst. Well, kind of, kind of, sort of. Uh, yeah. I mean, with 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 Caroline, I mean, with Patty Hearst, there's a whole can of worms on that one. We're gonna, like, yeah, we're going to get to that one, but there's a whole can of, like, Patty Hearst is something entirely different. With Caroline Fugit, I think it's closer to, say, like an abusive relationship, yeah. you know, where, you know, you could ask, like, why someone stays with, abuse, with an abusive partner when you say, like, oh, why don't they just leave? You know, it's sort of the same thing with Charles Starkweather and Caroline Fugit in that house while Charles is taking a nap. You know, why doesn't she like, why doesn't she just shoot him in the head? In the head? And the answer is because she's fucking terrified of him. She yeah. doesn't know what he's going to do. In her mind, he has taken on, it, at possible, very quite possibly, this is just speculation, but in her mind, he's taken on this all-powerful figure. You know, because well, he only does he, his become kind of an all, He's become an all-powerful figure where he can do anything. And as Henry said, she's got nobody left. She kills Charlie. Where's she going to go? Where's she going to go? You know yeah. what I mean? That's like, that's the, Charlie is the stabilizing point of her life. Oh, that's not good. No. <laughs> no. no, that's not I mean, good at all. I mean, yeah. Does she bear some responsibility? Yeah. Yeah, yeah she absolutely does. But uh, still, but like, it's not, you can be a hostage, a victim. You can be a hostage, a victim, and an accomplice so all you one. think no yeah. one would have been killed without Charlie? Absolutely yes. not. So you don't, I mean, I, okay. it's him. He's yeah. the driving force. So he's force. the driving force. Yes. Yeah. No, not a single person. But on the other hand, I also don't think that Carla Homolka would have killed anyone without Paul True. Bernardo. But, but she got a taste and yeah, she, she was of a, age. She was at yeah. an age that she could make those decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carla Homolka absolutely made, she wouldn't have done it without him. But once she got with him, she fucking did it. Oh, yeah. Now, at that point, when Carol Ann started running towards the sheriff's deputy, Charles let go of the rifle, jumped back into Lower Ward's Packard, and took off, while the deputy threw Carol Ann in his cruiser and took off in pursuit. While he radioed for backup, Carol Ann piled everything on Charles, saying that she'd seen him kill 10 people. By the time Carol Ann was done with her story, though, a whole pack of police had joined Deputy Romer in the chase, and Starkweather, remember, he is a hot rod guy. He's oh, yeah. doing 100 miles an hour through the town of Douglas, zigzagging through traffic. Finally, he's doing something like yeah. fast. 
<laughs> Before long, Starkweather and his pursuers were on the highway going 120. And cops Ooh. are leaning out of the window, firing their rifles at Charles. The fucking back window of the Packard is shattering. Wow. Finally, Charles Starkweather hits a bump in the road. Since he's going 120 miles an hour, the car flies into the air and comes crashing down, completely busted, and it rolls to a stop. <laughs> and at that point, Charles Starkweather just steps out. He's like, well, it's been fun. And you know what you got to do after that? You say, and scene. And scene. All right, let's all go back to normal. Everyone's families are alive. Zip, zip, zip. There we go. The cops ordered him to put his hands in the air, but when he ignored them, they shot at his feet and ordered him to the ground. When the cops cuffed him, though, Charlie's ear was bleeding because it had gotten nicked when the back window shattered. But instead of just dealing with it, Charles cried out that he'd been shot, then whined that he was bleeding to death. Oh. Yeah, he, uh, and then what was the last statement he said? He's like, you know, for all the things that we've done, at least for a little while, sir, me and her, we had us some fun. Oh, my mm -hmm. God. I'm going to fucking kill you. And your main, main injury is the same that every girl gets at Claire's <laughs> when they get their ears pierced for the first time by someone three years younger than them and they're 12. Yeah, you get that ear hymen. Get it snapped. <laughs> it's so gross. Fantastic. Finally, though, when Charles calmed down in the backseat of a cop car, he said that Carol Ann had nothing to do with what had happened over the course of those two bloody weeks in January. Wow. As far as Carol Ann went, though, her stories began changing and evolving almost immediately. Yes. Before she'd even arrived at a police station, she told Deputy Romer that her home in Lincoln had been the headquarters for a group of teenage delinquent bank robbers, which was the same thing she told Starkweather's sister two weeks before. She said that the others had all chickened out at the last second despite being armed with Tommy guns. And when they left, Charles and Carol Ann left, too. And things just sort of got out of hand from there. Mm, sure, oh, I see. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. They right. were inspired by the gang that was there. Yeah. I, it's, you know, again, they just don't know what to say. They were yeah. both trying to figure out that, how do you describe the indescribable? We talk about what the folie de, right? Mm -hmm. Here's these private moments where it's very difficult to tell what objective truth is. You have two people in a room that no one else knows what happens but those two. I have a little app game that I can play. I can tell who's the mother of the baby. Yeah, that's different. He <laughs> yeah. has clear-cut answers. Again, that's what it provides. You those know what the answer provide is? stability for you. It's whoever the baby's looking at. Couldn't wow. care less. Wow. And honestly, <laughs> I bet you I could go in the room and I could fucking go, ar, 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 ar. oh, the baby's going to look at me. Am I the mother? No, the babies are going to be looking. Wait, no, hey, it's hey, the babies. Hey, hey, hey. All the babies are looking at me. Oh, I'm Mr. Daddy now? Is that all it takes to be the loudest in the room? And then the yeah. dog is looking away to protect uh, you. But you can't tell what to there do, right, in their time. You can't figure out what actually happened because it's just two people's story of a thing that no one knows what, what actually happened. But, what, but you know, if both are saying that the other one did absolutely everything and, the, and then they didn't possibly do anything, you know that that's not true either. You yeah. know that there is a middle way to reality that this is, it's very difficult to figure out. What if we both said we did nothing? No case there. That's it. And then you're done. They gotta let them go. No case there. <laughs> gotta let you go. When both Charles and Caroline got to the station house, they were fucking filthy. Neither had bathed for days on end. Charles was bloody and ridiculously covered in shoe polish. And Carol Ann oddly refused to bathe or change her clothes at all. Which, you know, might point towards the possibility that she is fully in shock. Yeah. Now, while Charles immediately admitted to every murder and did so with gusto, 
Carol Ann kept changing her degree of responsibility after dropping the bank robber story. Sometimes she'd say that she'd been kidnapped and was little more than a spectator. Other times she'd admit to a robbery or holding someone hostage or even a stabbing or two. Of course, that's not the end all be all. We know how fucking confessions work when oh, once you get into the box. You oh, know, yeah, what, once you're you in know there, people, man. especially people of lower intelligence, tend to get convinced that they did things that they actually didn't fucking do. Oh, right. yeah, they're pushing Absolutely. and pulling, man, especially with these two because they're like they got to flip one mm -hmm. on the other but carol ann would also sometimes slip up and admit to knowing things she wasn't supposed to know one time she told the sheriff's deputy's wife that the papers actually got the order that her family had been killed in all wrong the paper yeah. said that they'd been killed outside but then carol ann was like actually no they were killed inside and then they got drugged outside and that's why this case is all about media. It's about media. <laughs> Look at media. Look what they're doing to us. Um, but I, I think the, another big tell is that they cut out the pictures themselves to keep. Yeah, yeah. dude, that's not normal, man. I mean, oh, geez. No. Anyway. But anytime Carol Ann realized that the information she'd given was incriminating, she'd go silent and would sit there twisting Kleenex tissues into paper dolls until people stopped asking her questions. <sighs> I think Carol Ann did also play up the child angle quite sure. a bit. She would have just been married to Mike Huckabee at some point anyway. Oh, very much <laughs> She would have so. been a governor's wife. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, this is just horrible. She did, however, say enough to get her indicted. So she and Charles were extradited from Wyoming to Nebraska, where the death penalty was still very much in play for the both of them. However, they had to drive because Starkweather was afraid of flying. And for this, he was roundly mocked in the press. Yeah, you know, hey, he got one thing right. I'm surprised mm -hmm. that they gave a shit. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm honestly being like, uh, I'm really afraid of being shot randomly by a child. I guess they, I guess that considered, would that be considered like, like bad if he requests to not be flown? Like, was it Who one of those things? A shit? I, I don't give a fucking shit, but it's one of those things. Is that abuse of a prisoner or something? If you don't listen to their needs, are you just doing no this idea. for a photo op? The man killed 10 people. I think they do people? it to embarrass him to, as well. I think just they're like, fly. all right, I guess we'll drive you. Let the baby have it. Let the yep. baby have what he wants. Yeah, I get it. Now, once Charles finally wrote a confession, he somehow didn't know how many of each gender that he'd killed. Instead of saying he killed six men and five women, he said he killed nine men and two women. This inability to differentiate between genders or even do basic arithmetic was later used by his defense in part to show that Charles was insane. Now, Jerry, let's take a look at this penis. Charles, <laughs> what do you see? I see a nose between two soft eyes. <laughs> Note. Now, let's take a look at this vagina. Now, Charles, what do you see? I see a scary place. It's filled with worms and bats. The man can't tell the difference between a penis and a vagina. <laughs> yeah, as we know, Charles Starkway, he's just a fucking idiot. And he's probably just fuzzy on memory as he was with everything. He truly didn't remember what gender the people I like it was just all a blank a yeah jumbled. I killed 11 people I don't but I don't really but wouldn't remember wouldn't that be a, a tell of a sociopath as well he doesn't see facial facial expression I mean is it possible that he literally saw them as entities and not <sighs> I, biological <laughs> humans it's just, well it happened real fast like right. this yeah. happened over like three days after they were That's holed the crazy up like, so this has been a 14 day total span it's, I want to yeah. say it was eight Eight to ten days? Yeah, eight to ten days, somewhere around there, yeah. And so Less than two weeks, certainly. Yeah. Wow. It happened very, very fast. I think Ugh. that's a part of it. And then again, the whole time he was he was stressed, Kissel. I know, and all the Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that didn't oh, help. No. All the Pepsi. 
Now, once the press got a hold of the character that was Charles Starkweather, they were able to reduce everything Starkweather had done to tight blue jeans, leather jackets, James Dean movies, and Elvis Presley singles. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm getting destabilized just thinking about it. Absolutely. But while Charles welcomed his status as the nation's number one juvenile delinquent, his defense tried a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Charles, however, hated being seen as crazy, just like Ted Kaczynski, a.k.a. the Unabomber, Mm. had been against his insanity defense. Also, members of the jury, let's take a look at this jacket. It's pleather. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, my client's never worn leather. (laughs) See, Kaczynski hadn't wanted to plead insanity because it would have invalidated his manifesto and therefore all of his intellectual ideals. Starkweather, on the other hand, believed that an insanity defense would invalidate his place in history as an outlaw. As he put it, quote, Nobody remembers a crazy man. Uh, they do, actually. Yeah, they actually yeah, do quite they, often. Uh, very yeah. much so. Dude, we actually have a very famous man that we know, he's known as Weird Al. <laughs> and he's actually become very famous for being weird. Absolutely. And of course, there's Crazy Al, who has the great mattress sales on 9-11. Oh, <laughs> these prices are falling, falling, falling. <laughs> well, concerning the insanity defense, Kaczynski and Starkweather are two sides of the same coin, with one being so smart he's stupid <laughs> and the other being just plain stupid. Plain old stupid. But in the end, both of them pretty much ended up in the same pile. Touch tips. Yeah. It's like uh. it's like hippies and Republicans on vaccines. <laughs> yeah, like, hippies and evangelicals on vaccines. They touch tips. Oh, that is true. Cute Venn diagram. But while Kaczynski is still to this day rotting in Colorado supermax, Charles wow. Starkweather didn't have to wait long to ride the lightning. Oh yeah. By the time of his trial, he no longer cared whether he lived or died, and actually didn't even care if Carol Ann lived or died. Man, what? he had crazy hair. If you see all the footage of him in jail, like mm-hmm. he had big hair. I didn't I even think it. about it like that. It's kind of I know it's weird, I guess because it's such a from the time period, but like it was kind of wild. It's Pompadour. big and square. It's yeah. real square. You're it's weird crazy looking. square. Like that it's it's oddly square. It takes a long time to make your hair that square. Well yeah. he did have a lot of time on his hands. He did. But Starkweather's family was likewise somewhat nonchalant about death. When Charles Starkweather was found guilty and sentenced to the electric chair on May 23rd, 1958, his father said this to the press, and this is an exact fucking quote. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Let's call <laughs> This is amazing. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Let's all go out and get a steak. Yeah. <laughs> That is the Lord yeah. giveth and the Lord taketh away. away. Let's all go out and get a steak. I want that tattooed on I me. need that. Yeah. I need that in my life. I mean, he's definitely the creator of a total social. Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That's very much Midwest dad. Wow. Now, up next was the trial of Carol Ann Fugit, who at the time had the dubious honor of being the youngest woman in American history to stand trial for first degree murder. But don't worry. We have convicted a 13-year-old girl since then. America wins! Horrible. <laughs> we do, that we was, got her again! That was the one thing with the awful, I mean, obviously the Slender Man stabbing, oh, totally horrible, but the conclusion that they made to try them as adults was the crime was so vicious that no child would do it, but the fact that they believed in Slender Man proves they're children. They're children. Yeah. And it just is what it is. Yes. Now, during her trial... Carol Ann would go from being a smiling teenager blushing at compliments one second to a hard-faced, angry young woman the next. And she often spoke in a clipped, brittle voice. 
She also turned on Charles during the trial, personally and honestly, needlessly insulting him by saying that they never went down. He could use it, but I don't see what this has to do with her defense for murder. She said, we never went dancing because he was too bow-legged. Well, if I'm the jury, I'm like, fuck uh, that guy, man. You got to go dancing. Like a nerd. Yeah, yeah. She came with you on 11 murders. You can go dancing every now and again. <laughs> she also said that she held no responsibility for anything and that she didn't even know her family was dead until after she was arrested, which at the very least is a statement that stretches the limits of credulity. That's a very fair way of saying a lie, yes. I do, she lied to, like, just because you lie doesn't mean you're necessarily guilty of many murders, but it's because they lived a whole week together. She's trying to get the fuck out of there. She's trying to figure out what to do. But look, this is how you dance while bow-legged, if you can see on the camera. All right. Oh, there we go. Old crackling knees Zabrowski dancing well, bow-legged. That's where the fiddle music comes in. And yeah, you can really do it. You can do You can do some bow-legged dancing. Uh, I was out there with Taylor in uh, San Antonio. I saw a couple of people dancing with bow-legs. They can do real good. You can shuffle. You can hustle. You can scuttle. There you go. Great. Great for the podcast. Fantastic. <laughs> Just perfect. Well, it's good Absolutely for the podcast. And it's you good can, to hear the little steps. You can do the steps. And again, it's good for the scuttle. Let's go. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, during Caroline Fugit's trial, Charles even came in and testified against her after he'd been sentenced to death, saying she was an equal partner in the spree. And by the end of it, the jury somewhat agreed. Based on Carol's damning statements to cops, her conflicting statements, and a, quote, snippy attitude during cross-examinations. <laughs> yep, that's how you get convicted for murder. little yeah. double standard <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. She was sentenced to life with parole, narrowly avoiding the electric chair. Charles, on the other hand, tried ensuring that his story lived on by writing an unreadable 200-page autobiography that he sold to Parade Magazine for $1,000. That's the only way we know anything about him, about him being bullied and stuff. So that's what he centered it all on. It was all on how he needed to take something back from society. Because he also was a prolific artist. He did a lot of drawings that were um, crude at best. You play the yeah. long game, man. You just have to at some point win. You got to get money, success. Yes, that's how you do it. That's, that's how, how you nerds do win. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. But Charles's father also cashed in on his son's notoriety, selling Charlie's signature and even locks of his hair, all while he introduced himself to every single person he met as Charles Starkweather's father, Usually unprompted. Yeah, and a little oh wink. Oh my God, like, let's go get a steak. I actually watched <laughs> a documentary with the surviving Starkweather family, and they all, this, they're, you wonder where they get it from. Are they, they proud re- of it? They refuse to change their names, even though, according to them, yeah, all those names ruin every single aspect of our lives, but we continue it because we ain't going to cotton to any of y'all telling mm. us the whole world, telling us we're wrong. Mm. We ain't wrong. It's that feeling yep. where they're like, and they're all like, it's a string of, literal Charles Starkweather multiplicity clones. Right. Like, in a trailer, just being like, I ain't changed the name for nothing. Yeah, and people come up to me and say, hey, Starkey, who are you going to murder next? And I tell them, you better be lucky name you. <laughs> yeah, I'm unemployed. And it's only just because of my name. Certainly not my attitude or action. In the end, though, Charles Starkweather, after two brief reprieves, he was sent to the electric chair on June 25th, 1959, a little over a year after his conviction. Oddly enough, though, for his last meal, he had a Coke. 
not a Pepsi. What the fuck? Dude, it's just the guy is a brand. He's not a loyalist to a brand. Holy fucking and shit. It's, su- it's just such a fucking piece of insight into Knife how this in man. Back. Unbelievable. Pepsi fueled your entire murder campaign. I don't and know. Maybe it was at the prison. Coke. Maybe he asked for Pepsi at prison and they said, we don't have it's Pepsi. Coke, Sorry. Right? Sorry, is the Coke okay? And you know how many times they back in the day, you know what I used to say? No, it's fucking not. No, I can't you know, tell the difference. Not, you, know, you can't tell the difference. Yeah, you can. Absolutely. No, you cannot. You're very different. Can. It's extremely easy. I it's extremely can easy. Can you tell the difference between Pepsi and You can put him in front of me right now and I can still tell the difference and I haven't yeah. had it in 10 years. Yeah. Pepsi puts more of a film on your teeth. Well, I actually like Pepsi better because we're a Pepsi family because my grandfather worked for Pepsi. I know you're yeah. a Pepsi And so family. I learned to you get a taste for it. Yes. But Crystal Pepsi is very good. The old we days. used to just drink them. What is it? I think it was called Mr. Cola. It's from Walmart. Ah. Doctor oh, is this about is this about classes? It is about class because you had you had an inside track to Pepsi and televisions because your father was a police officer and Marcus grew up in a Coca Cola family. No, we we uh, were a Dr Pepper family. Oh, wow. so fuck Dr. you both. Oh, oh holy interesting. Shit. Although oh. I do believe Dr Pepper is a Coca Cola product. It is a Coca Cola product. Mr. No, Pib Dr, is Dr. The Pepsi no, Dr. no, Dr Pepper is its own thing. Is that right? I, I, I diet Dr Pepper is my favorite. Soda. We have come we just uh, we do, oh, we're like three sentences away from the end of the episode. <laughs> Yes, We're like really close. Well, they got a Coca-Cola classic. Coca-Cola. Uh, <laughs> well, after giving no last words, Charles Starkweather was electrocuted to death at 12.04 a.m. Carol Ann, meanwhile, ended up serving a little less than 20 years in prison. She was released mm-hmm. on parole for good behavior in June of 1976 at the age of 32, saying that all wow. she wanted to do was settle down, get married, have a couple of kids, wash the socks, and burn the toast. I love that. I'm uh, fine with Carol Ann being released. I can't yeah. believe Carla Homolka got released. That's the yeah. one who should have, like, probably stayed in the fucking jail. Yeah, She's a like, burn the toast, though. Why is she going to yeah. burn the toast? Well, it's fun. It's, it's fun. Yeah. She's a Red Sox fan? That's stupid. She said, "Wash, oh, wash, wash the, socks. the socks. Wash the socks. Not, not wash the socks. Okay, excuse me. Wash the socks. Wash the socks. There, there we go. Now I wash the socks. I thought she was a Red Sox fan. That would make sense. He's from Nebraska. I don't know, buddy. She has no loyalty. Yeah, it's true. You're right. <laughs> However, she didn't get married until 2007. Oh. And her husband tragically died in a car accident just a few years later. Uh, um, um. Can I what say um? Yeah. No, um, it, no, it, she did, just... Did somebody cut the brakes? No, 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 no. no. I no, think, no, no. Personally, she's, I think uh, Caroline Fuga paid her debt to society. I, I think, think so. No, I think, I'm not saying that yeah. she's... But I'm just saying to say she could kill again. Nah. I, I knew I she think. killed. She never killed. She was never the violent one. No, I don't think she never killed. No, she never I killed anyone. I don't think no. she killed anybody. Okay. No, I don't think so either. All right. In fact, she's still alive and kicking somewhere in Michigan. She claims, as she did during her trial, that she bore... No responsibility for the murders. And in fact, she was last heard from in 2020 when she requested a pardon from the state of Nebraska. Her request, however, was denied, proving that the wounds inflicted by Charles Starkweather still run deep. She still maintains that her innocence was finally proved when she did an episode of a show called Lie Detector. Okay. In 1978 was on television, on it, was, it, was, it was hosted by F. Lee Bailey. Oh yeah, and is she that went right. Oh yeah. yeah, and then she took a lie detector on set. How'd she do? She passed. All right, uh, there you go. Actually, she it was two out. She answered two out of three questions truthfully, but they wouldn't say which two out of the three. Fantastic, ah, inconclusive. Ah, there we go. <laughs> but she took that as definitive. Yeah. I she did take have. a lie detector yes. test. 
I loved her on Pit My Ride. I thought that was <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. We put a mud it. in your car so you could mud while you drive. There you mm-hmm. go, a pro mudding car exhibit. <laughs> I did read or watched a YouTube expose. They said the show is fake. And I was like, yeah, what do you think? Yeah. It's a PlayStation 5. His PlayStation. name is Exhibit. Oh, he was very good, though. But yeah, that's a, that's was. an exhibition. He you know what I mean? Very good. <laughs> All right, everyone. Charles Starkweather, part two. And that is it. We what did a it. fascinating tale of ma'am. Youthful misdeeds. You got to be and careful overall, out there. Uh, spotty police work? Very much so. Yeah. Lazy. Um, I'd say lazy. Who's going today? Today is the day. Um, if you haven't done a, a room check of your teenager, you go in there today while they're at school and you rip apart that whole fucking place and you look every single thing that's going on. There. <laughs> oh, you look at you read all their Any Pepsi, call the police. Call the police. Okay. It's an indictment on Pepsi. Call the police. Um, so next week we'll be at the beautiful Beacon Theater. I can't believe oh, it. it's God. good. Hometown Boys. Hometown Doing Boys it. made good. Doing yeah. it. Doing it. The Doing Beacon it. Theater. It's going to be good. Almost, uh, we're very close to being sold out on that. So if you want to come, make sure and get your tickets today. Well, this yes. will be good. We got to do the Beacon because that's one step closer to Radio City Music Hall, so close. and then we can have the Rockettes open up for us. Oh yeah, mm. they'll love it. Yeah, it'd be really cool. We just love serial killers. It'll be real on brand. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll love it just as much as the people who ran Graceland loved us. They loved us. <laughs> I well, love. They were saying they loved us. They loved us being there. No, I don't know if you guys remember. They did not like us. The <laughs> yes. fans liked us. Yes. The fans liked us. being sarcastic. Guys. Fans loved um, it. But I want to say uh, thank you, guys. Uh, next week we yep. are going to get super wheeled. Oh, fantastic! I'm really wheeled. excited to finally get back to seeing some old pals of ours. Some guys that I really miss. Haven't been around in a while. Oh. And I'm really excited. I want to say hello to them. And it's, it's going to be good. Fantastic. And thanks to everyone who came out in Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. So Cincinnati. Uh, it was uh, Cleveland. It was Akron, 30 minutes out of Cleveland. Between Akron and uh, Cleveland, yeah. And Akron. So whoever came out to that casino show, thank you so much. It was such a great weekend. And it always brightens our hearts. Hearts? Yep. To see you there. Let's go get some steak. The Lord give it and the Lord take it away. Let's go get some steak, man. I love it. I get it. Oh, yeah, because what are you going to do? If your son is Charles Starkweather, like, yeah. Like, well, everything's fucked now. But I also saw the dude that got the Starkweather getaway car, and it was uh, it was scintillating. He was like, yeah, I did. When I found that old, uh, found that old burnout car, and I knew that, it said, that was a, that was a we back in the day, we called that the, the getaway car. <laughs> and, yeah, oh, now it's just, uh, it was sitting over there. And people come by and say, oh, they say, well, 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 what's that over there? And I said, that's a getaway car. It's a getaway car. Why is it called a getaway car? <laughs> oh, well, you know, that's what they were trying to trying to get away. And it, unfortunately, it was, a, it was an unsuccessful getaway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Again. Augustulations, everybody. Hail me. Don't trust the teens. Yeah, but I'm fine with it. Sure. <laughs> Arrest every teenager. <laughs> Just one time. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. 